Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Z for Zachariah. My name is Tom Chick, and I have brought along Christian Minzlowski. M M doesn't stand for that. It stands for Moses, who saw the light in the dark. And with our Z for Zachariah tagline, Kelly Wand. Uh, R is for Roby. You did that, that. You got a little bit of your Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, he really did, and it was a little. There's a little yeah. Tom Chicken there too. He got I a little. He peeked a little on the. Yeah. Uh, Kelly, one. Are there other taglines for Z for Zachariah, or does it only have one tagline? No, there's 26 taglines. 26. <laughs> All right, run through them. Let's go. Because the alphabets. Well, actually, it'd be 25 because the title itself is not a tagline, is it? Uh. Right. Yeah. Wait. What? Well, no, unless I did a different one. Then it's one. You see what I'm saying? You can't do that. Z, it, they Z's always what Z stands right. for. Z's always yeah. for one, only one thing. Well, that would be kind of a good, good alphabet. It's like did you say they explain it, Tom? I don't know. Uh, well, it is, I think it is pretty well explained, but they, they when you say Z, it's for Dr. Right, that doesn't mean it's also for other things. So if Kelly Wan has a tagline... Uh, for right. each for each letter of the alphabet, if you've got twenty six of them, at least one of them will be apocryphal. Mm. Hmm. Like a circumference. That's what C's for. There's nothing apocryphal about a circumference. If you guys need me to school you on geometry again, I will definitely do it. <laughs> I, I can explain the difference between an isosceles triangle and the other kinds. I do love All that right. Z can have infinite meanings, according to Kelly. Z has infinite taglines. Well, I know A is for apocryphal. And I is for isosceles. But the other tagline... C is, C is for circumference. Go on. Right. Uh, it's like War Games if Matthew Broderick had failed. Okay, I get that one. Good. All right. It's like Steve Jobs. <laughs> <laughs> that one I don't understand. I thought your audio cut out for a moment, but I think oh. I just don't understand that one. Yep. All right. And my last one is finally a movie that taps into our fears of Chris Pine. (laughs) Kelly Wan, do you have a contest you can uh, subject Dingus and I to this week where you give us a movie synopsis. Dingus and I have to guess what the movie is. The first one to guess wins the game. Yeah, I do. All right, so uh, you sound enthusiastic about this one. I look forward to it. Hit us with the synopsis. Wait, when I said, yeah, I do, I sounded enthusiastic. Or before? Well, before, when, when uh, yeah. Well, oh, okay. I'm going to read the whole thing before you get to guess. That's the Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What? That's not part of the thing. Yeah, how will you know which one of us knew it first? Are we supposed to raise our all hands? Right, shout it out. All right, all right. That's a fair point. I won't know. So interrupt if you think you know it. Two sisters, high school seniors in the early 1980s, parentheses, one a cheerleader, awaken one morning to blood-red skies and the real... Oh, shoot, I know this. So they go shopping in the mall. Uh, Night of the Comet or something like that. Night of the Shooting Star. Year of the Comet. Something about a comet. Oh, dang, dang, I think Dingus might have gotten it. Is either of us right, Kelly Wan? Uh... 
kind of. You guys got it a little early. They encounter a rebellious Native American man who looks like Eric Estrada and take over the airwaves at a local radio station in an attempt to get help. Unfortunately, they attract the attention of a group of scientists. They hid underground in a steel laboratory, but idiotically left the vents open. Now, as various survivors of the comet, who are only partially surrounded by steel, are decaying into flesh-hungry zombies, the scientists are attempting to cope with a vaccine made of the blood of people who are not infected by the comet. Thus, the trio... Right. Thus, the trio must fight their way past not only roving packs of the cannibalistic dead, but also outsmart a pack of scientists desperate not to become that way themselves. Man, I don't remember any of that. I'm pretty sure I've seen this, but I don't remember any of those things. I, I think I want to see this movie again. It sounds kind of good. You've not seen it? You don't know it? Uh, I can't remember it. Um, so what, what no, is the, the name? So the title of the movie we're talking about? Oh, Night of the Comet. Oh, Tom got it. Though. Oh, so I yeah. got it right off the bat. Yes. Yeah, I know this. So when you say when you say we sort of got it, you mean I nailed it, one hundred and ten percent. I just want to read the Eric right. Strada part. You mean Tom's with the it. actual title? I mean, it is great that the synopsis says looks like Eric Estrada. Is he is yeah. he played by Eric Estrada? In which case, that's even better. Eighty four. They wished. What? That was his prime. Guys, that's what. Guys, was he I, too busy shooting chips back then, or what? Yeah. Did you know there was going to be a chips movie? People, I'm not the. If there's a SWAT movie. Why wouldn't there be a Chips movie? Yeah, but uh, I don't know. That's a good point. If we made there if we made a Chips movie today, who would play the cops? Yeah, that's what I was wondering too. Yeah, uh, Larry Wilcox would be the same, but also Randy Oaks would also be the same. But Eric Estrada would be played by uh, Banderas or uh, by uh, Javier Bardem. All right. We we can't get like uh we can't get. Jai Courtney. You know who'd make a good Eric Strata is uh, Dinklage on on as Chips, like he's the sex pot member of. The now, movie. now you're just taking a piss, as they say in Britain. Yeah. What? what no, I just I'm talking about movies I want to see, and I would like to see a Chips reboot movie with Peter Dinklage and Larry Wilcox. Here's my Chips casting. You ready for this, Kelly? Yeah, Wong? I'll do that, Smarty Pants. Harry Dean Stanton and M. Emmett Walsh. Oh, what? Wait, what about a girl one with Emma Stone and Melissa McCarthy, and it's like Spy? Yeah, I think we've seen that. <laughs> That's been done. No, but they're motorcycle. Basically. I'm, I'm totally casting Michael Pena as Eric Estrada's character. Uh, Dingus, you're racially profiling. Yeah, I am. Well, that's what I did with Dinklage. <laughs> uh, Dingus, get us out of this. What movie did we see this week? Not Chips. Uh, there is no such thing. Uh, what did we see... Instead. There's such a thing as chips. Well, movie-wise. Oh. I want you know what? There might be like a chips TV movie, like maybe like in lieu of a pirate union. Like yeah, we're back on the police force. Yeah, yeah. So I, I might have spoken too soon. I I take that back about there being no chips movie. If there, there was is. one. That line was probably in it. Kelly, one. What does chips stand for? Uh, underwater breathing. I think that's it. That was too easy. I wish one. there were a pronunciation for chips that that respected the lowercase i. I know they kind of uh, just put that in there to make it sound, yeah, like it's not chops or chips. Or chips. Also, no one, no one. TV always does this thing where it's like, 
Yeah, they call themselves Chips. Like that's what that's the nickname, or like the the OC. But like no one ever said the OC. Like I'm going down to the OC, and no one ever said, "Oh, that Chip just arrested me." I think mm-hmm. plenty of douches have said, "I'm going down to the OC." Yeah, I think I've heard that as well, Kelly. But, Lund. But I would that, think you of all people would know that one also, living where you used to live. You people. Yeah. Wait, all people. <laughs> How dare you say all people to me? But also, no one ever said them together in the same sentence, and that's my real point. Fair enough. Yeah. Anyway. All right, so Dingus, what did we see this week? All right, this week we saw Z for Zechariah. Is it Z for Zechariah or Z is for Zechariah? I don't think there's a verb in the in the title. It's, it it differs from the child book in that it's just Z for Zechariah. Um, a 2015 Icelandic science fiction drama movie about how green is her valley. It was directed by Craig Zobel. And it, is it pronounced Zobel or Zobel? Oh, I was assuming Zobel. I was, uh, I was too. It could be Zobel. Right. And written Craig. by uh, Nassar Modi, based on the novel of the same name by Robert C. O'Brien. Uh, <laughs> it, it stars... <laughs> A little shout out to the author there. Uh, it stars Tweedleo, Ejo 4, Margot Robbie... And Chris Pine. Uh, Z for Zechariah is rated PG-13 for a scene of sexuality, partial nudity, and brief, strong language. Uh, I'd like to add a couple. Uh, Black people drinking, outdoor bathing with firearms, arguing on the Sabbath, and nuclear war. (laughs) Do we know what's war, though? We don't, which is what, yeah, it's definitely, it's similar to The Road, and I don't think the movie's really interested in, in what exactly And happened. I'm interested yeah. in talking about that particular thing. But moving on, go ahead, Tom. Well, hold that thought, Dingus, we'll get to that in a minute. On Metacritic, uh, the average rating from various reviews for Z for Zachariah, 68. Oh, just what you are, fuck. If we look at the percentage of reviews... <laughs> I got that one, Kelly Wan. <laughs> Kelly Wan, uh, quote a goon. If we look at the percentage of reviews that are positive on Rotten Tomatoes, it's at 78%. Sometimes it's instructive to click around on like the top critics or the audience settings or whatever on Rotten Tomatoes. Sometimes. If you look at the audience uh, percentage on Rotten Tomatoes, 47% of the reviews are positive. <laughs> what? On Rotten Tomatoes, yeah, on Rotten Tomatoes, 53% of just the average Joes who go to the site were like, eh, no, I didn't like this. Mm, I have a theory on that. Uh, Z for Zachariah. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, I I'm not surprised. Yeah, but, uh, the average Joe. Z for Zachariah did not have any sort of a meaningful theatrical release. Uh, in its limited release, it it never made it to more than 29 theaters. But it's basically a video on demand release, so we have no idea how well it's doing or poorly. Uh, Kelly Wand, what would you call a synopsis of Z for Zachariah? Tom, you're always pretty smart about coming up with what I would call things. What would I call yeah. this, do you think? What's your suspicion? You would call this the Z for Zacharopsis? Yeah. Okay. It's a little on the nose, but I'll take it. I'm starting to oh, wonder that's Kelly's actually coming up with them or just making you do it. Yeah, I think he's just letting it No, because Tom's guesses are always so weirdly bad for a writer. And, and when he says Steve Jobs and he's so easy, it just makes me <laughs> wonder about his brain. 
because well, the problem with that is it's a, it's a like I'm. This is going to sound way uh, more conceited than I mean it to, but there's a lot of things that I'm more used to like reading than saying out loud or hearing because yeah. I never get my news. Wait, what orally. Is, like, uh, audio titles of movies or oh, you mean well, I never. Well, I, I'd never like heard anybody talk talk about Steve Jobs. It was just a name I had read, and I like I'd read about him, but I'd never heard anyone talk about him. I'd never seen a documentary about him. Uh, I'm so still a not lot sure of how to say Kim Basinger, or is it Kim? I used to think it was Kim Bassinger. Yeah, I couldn't help you with that one either. But I know it's not Steve Jobs now. I've learned it as Steve Jobs. No, but it's interesting to me that the first time you saw that word, you went, "Oh, it's Jobs," because I heard it as pronounced that way. Well, he's got a degree Here's, in. I mean, come on, you can understand. Well, no, no. Also, no, if you I think know. of a name, like nobody is named Job, but Job is a yeah, name. Yeah, yeah. But the movie's about his jobs. <laughs> that's a good point, Kelly Wand. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a great mnemonic. Why didn't you give me that before, Kelly Wand? I might have been able to pronounce it correctly. It's always on the my fault. Kelly, Kelly, Kelly. Speaking of Kelly, 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 let's hear the Z for Zacharopsis. Z for Zacharopsis. A female Fallout character goes to the Red Rocket Diner to craft some Psycho Jet and orange Mentats and also string a wire between her water purifier and a tube of Wonder Glue and also scan the book racks for burnt textbooks. But unfortunately, she only finds a recipe for a Deathclaw pate that she already has nine of. She piles all this on a dog meat, gets the rolling pin off his back just in case that legendary mole rat's no longer stuck on a tree, then goes home, checks her mutafruit seedlings, Scraps a couple of rusted cars to make some rusted walls, strips off her raider leathers, then takes a shower and uses a brush to scrape all the radiation off her body, and listens to Billie Holiday over a fresh home-cooked meal of dirty water and razor grain. After the song is over, she turns to Dogmeat and goes, Should I say something sarcastic? I look over at the super mutant sitting beside me and go, I wouldn't mind being her radiation brush. <laughs> It snorts at me, goes stupid noises, and yells something with the word puny in it. I get that a lot. The next day, Margot Roby slips into her supple vault suit and fast travels to a road with a futuristic rickshaw on it being drawn by a black man in T-48 power armor. As she watches, he stops for no reason, hits the button to exit his armor, spreads his arms, and goes, Yes! I did it! I made it a third of the way up this hill! Woohoo! Fuck you people I cannibalized! Man, I'd sure kill again for another white woman right now. She elects not to announce herself. The black man goes to a uranium waterfall and bathes in the glowing green sludge to the backdrop of crackling orange dumpsters and skulls with three eye sockets. As he washes his balls, he sings, Oh, it feels so good to take off that suit and not have to worry about radiation. I'm black and interesting, la la la. He farts melodically into the water, then gargles water from the same area. After 45 minutes of this, she raises her rifle and goes, Hey, you're being dumb. He screams like a woman, emits a startled fart, grabs a pistol and goes, Get off my land! Then he starts throwing up and peeing glowing green blood. He staggers out to his power armor, finds a stim pack, and yells at her, Well, do it for me. I can't do it. Ugh. She's all, All right, Jesus. Picks up the syringe and injects herself. He's all, Uh. Then he passes out, throws up, and vice versa. She somehow carries him home and nurses him back to health by pre-chewing his drinking water and injecting herself some more. Eventually, his radiation sickness mellows into a desire for alcohol. At first, he gets bored and walks around her library. 
He sees a kid's book, plucks it out, and stares at the cover. It's all W's for white man. He shakes his head and goes, fuck it, South. He hobbles enigmatically out to the field and watches Margot Robbie yoke herself to a plow and drag it around to make a crop circle. Wiping away sweat with a radiation shower brush, she's all, Alien sure do make this look a sight easier than it looks. What you doing out here's anyhow? He's all, came outside here to watch you sleep. Uh, no comma in that sentence intended. By the way, uh, you have a tractor. You don't need to get the yoke. She's all, yeah, it's out of gas. I also broke my generator a couple weeks back by trying to blow it up. And then once again afterwards by making daiquiris in it. They go to a gas station. She goes into the store and finds a bunch of beers and goes, Oh, cool, can you use this fuel from a tractor? Meanwhile, he goes up to the gas pump, puts the nozzle to his mouth, and guzzles a few gallons until he's shit-faced drunk. She comes out to find him farting and throwing up again. He's all, Hey, bitch, y'all ready for some of this? And drops his pants. She rolls her eyes and goes, Fucking scientists, and takes him home. That night he gets a bit rapey when she tries to show him how to take his shoes off. This makes her uneasy and scared the next day, so to celebrate, <laughs> she gets a bottle of wine and tries to seduce him over a home-cooked supper of ice, supper mutant scrota, and Meyerlurk shells. But he's no longer interested in knowing Margot Roby as more than a friend. I look over at the pit boy clipping through the seat beside me and cockily go, if I was the last man on Earth and Margot Roby was the last woman, I'd put my odds of nailing her at 18%, as long as I was wearing my sequin dress and yellow fedora, since I put all my points into perception. It rolls its tabs at me and changes radio stations. Meanwhile, in Chiwetel Ejiofor's opinion, there's nothing more unattractive than an attractive, sexually available, horny, young last woman on Earth preacher's daughter who's had too much to drink. To commemorate their mixed signals, the next day she takes him to the church her daddy built using the crafting bench someone else left on the foundation. She sits down at the organ, plays Anything Goes, then turns around and goes, Should I play it sarcastically? Hey, what the fuck? Sheepishly stops prying apart the giant wooden cross and goes, Uh, we could recycle these in that stupid Bible there, then we'll be two fists of the way to Molotovs. She's all, but my daddy said throwing Molotovs on Sunday was a waste of glass. Chiwa tells all, look, we need this wood. I really want to make a paddle wheel for the radiation waterfall to help warn idiots away from swimming in it. Quit hanging on to the present. She's all, no. That night. Codsworth, why are you barking, boy? What is it? Someone on the other side of this door? Should I open it? Nah. Good night, Codsworth. Keep whimpering all night, buddy. <laughs> she drifts upstairs, sucking on a wine bottle, clomps extra loud past the black guy's door. Shouts, oh, going to bed now, in my nightgown. She stomps down to her bedroom, creaks the door artfully open a slit, then lies on the bed, throws open her nightie, and waits all night. The next morning <laughs> breakfast, he's all, yeah, look, about last night, uh, you understand, right? She's all, totally. By the way, when I was going three things, I found pictures of a woman smiling. Clearly, you two was married. He bristles angrily and goes, look, I have lots of wives, all right? Quit being so clingy. Chris Pine walks in naked. <laughs> He's all, Sup? I'm from uh, the place. <laughs> Margo's all, <laughs> Chai tells all, oh, fuck. Uh, hey, so, Margo, uh, that church your dad's really cool, actually. Uh, I just realized. What kind of wood did he use? Uh, hey, we're still dating, right? 
Hello? But Roby's too busy staring at Chris Pine's drooping penis right next to her face. A ribbon of fluid appears slowly at her lip as another spreads across her blouse. That night... Wait, you want me to sleep in the servants' quarters? Isn't that just a little bit racist? Look, Chris is still feeling a little weak from washing his beautiful balls in radiation at the waterfall. Those were mine. I mean, look, we don't know anything about this guy. What if he's a synth? Don't be silly. You saw what he contributed to the fondue pot. He's a ghoul. He's just different. That's all. You of all people should understand. What's that supposed to mean? Margo, I'm bored. Look, I gotta go check on him. He said he's leaving in a few days anyway, depending on how eager and inventive I am. I mean, weather permitting. I don't know. This isn't the post-nuclear apocalyptic lifestyle I really had in mind for myself when I was a kid. But she's already shutting his bedroom door and locking him in. He hears giggling from down the hall, along with Margot Roby's responses. <laughs> the next day, Chris Pine makes a campfire and cuts off and eats his foot. Margot Roby stands up from a nearby bush, smirks, and goes, I saw that! Chris Pine blushes flirtatiously. She's all, I meant to do that. Chiwetel rises from another bush carrying a load of wood. He's all, all right, what's going on here? They're all, cockblocker. Chiwetel scratches his head, makes a suspicious face, and sinks back into the shrub while Margot tears off one of the foot's toes and nibbles it sensuously. Laterer. Hey, bro, I don't know what you got going on with Margot, but I don't want to make trouble. I just want to have sex with her while you watch her go. I don't care what. Uh, actually, Margot's a figment of your imagination. Chris Pine smirks douchily. He's all, <laughs> uh, I don't believe you entirely. Hey, look, a rad stag. All right, first one to shoot it gets to have sex with Margot. Chiwa tells all. Oh, I see. You can be reasonable. Here, hang on. Let me write down the terms of this agreement, just so neither of us forgets. Both pretty irradiated. And here's a pen, and... What was I supposed to write again? I forget. Chris Pine fires. The rad stag wanders off. That night at dinner... And then just before my pen broke, Chris here shot his gun. The gunshot kind of deafened me. The end. Anyway, uh, technically I won the wager, in my opinion, since I wasn't ready yet. Chris Pines all. Bro, do you have to wash your balls at dinner? Chiwa tells all. Uh, have you smelled them? Chris Pines all. Well, that was a really cool recap of the Radstag story. He wipes away a tear. Really cool. Oh, actually, can you tell it again? Margot Roby sighs, shrugs out of her top, and goes, I thought maybe we could go skinny dipping. Chiwa tells all. I think that sounds great. She's all. Oh, you want to come? Uh, all right. The next day. You sure about this, bro? Why do I need to be wearing your power armor while you lower me over the waterfall? Doesn't that just make me heavy? Whoa! Oh, oh that was a close one. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. You sure about this, bro? Why do I need to... Oh, whoa! Oh, that was a close one. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. You sure about this, bro? Later. <laughs> Where's Chris? Oh, he's gone, Margo. He left you this note, though, in my handwriting. Kind of weird, but plausible. Uh, <laughs> it says, Dear Margo, lit out for the glowing sea. I need to find someone prettier. You should have had lots of sex with Chiwetel. He's super fucking awesome. Signed, Chiwetel. <laughs> I mean, Chris. <laughs> That's so him, isn't it? Uh, he also took my armor, but left an identical set of it at the bottom of the waterfall with a skeleton inside it. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, skeleton, 
uh, by the way, still attached to the cable, which got tangled up in the paddle wheel. So he's sort of strapped to the wheel. So you'll be seeing it every time the wheel turns with the skeleton's hand waving at you every time, like Ahab, kind of. But it's not too noticeable. We'll just try to have sex on the other side of the uh, wheel. She sighs, knocks a glass off the table, lowers herself to the nearest church pew, and begins to pray. He's all... Uh, also, I could explain the blood all over myself if you give me a second. The end! Kelly Wan, that kind of needed a disclaimer that to understand a lot of it, you sh- you have to be playing a video game called Fallout 4. What are you talking about? Yeah, I mean, I, I, my theory is most I, more people will have played Fallout 4 than have seen the movie, so they'll get the jokes if they've seen both. Yeah, but the, the Venn diagram is, I'm not quite sure how to draw that. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a yeah, it's an odd assumption, but but fair enough. This is this this podcast is posted on a video gaming site. Yeah, I'm so, not a mathematician. Uh, yeah. I'm a video game player, so no one expects yeah. you know. Da- da- damn it, Jim! Damn it, Jim! I'm not a mathematician. <laughs> uh, but yeah, all right, Tom. This was your choice. Well, I thought I was rescuing us from Mockingjay, which I I, I thought you guys would be pleased about. I don't know if if you are now that you you've seen the movie, but. Uh, you know, we we last week were going to see Mockingjay, and at the last minute I called an audible and chose this movie, which I really like. Um, and I, I know uh, at least Dingus was a little disappointed that we weren't going to do Mockingjay instead. <laughs> I thought I was doing us a favor. I, that. I don't know if that's the case or not. Uh, so, uh, yeah. I don't think Dingus wants to do Mockingjay. I think no, it no, was... I'm not, I'm not disappointed. I, I would have had to watch Catching Fire... Uh, Mockingjay Part uh, One, whatever happened right. between the other two of those, um, which would have been a slog. So no, I'm I'm not I'm definitely not disappointed. I was just surprised. Right. Uh, so um, well, yeah, it's no secret. I, I recommended this. I, I'm hugely in love with this movie. I, I uh, looking forward to talking about it with you guys. Don't know that it would work. I mean, it's the sort of thing I'm not surprised that 53% of the people on Rotten Tomatoes were like, eh, I didn't really get it. I don't like this. Um, it's not your typical post-apocalyptic movie. Uh, I was a little surprised at the source material, which I, I haven't read, but I did I look into it. it. Oh, oh, wait, you, you read the, you knew, the... Isn't it from the 70s? Yeah, it's from 1974, and it's all from her point of view. Like, she's the narrator of it. Like it's, and there's no romance in it, and there's no third no, count. what? There's no Chris what? Pine. Yeah. Chris Pine's on it, it's just yeah. her and It's the totally uh. this antagonistic relationship between a scientist... I mean, the setting is the same, this this green enclave in a radioactive wilderness. Uh, and the, the scientist and her be, end up being at odds and kind of fight a war. Yeah. Like, she gets driven off the property. She has to stay in a cave and mount this, like, guerrilla campaign against him. Uh, With other people? No. No, no, it's, it's just the two of them. There's no third person. Yeah, there's no... Yeah, 1v1 is It's a battle of the sexes uh, and races. All right. Well, so, uh, that's fascinating, actually. Okay, yeah. go ahead. So, Dingus, yeah, you mentioned the, the what's the scriptwriter's name again? Do you do you have that handy? Oh yeah, uh, his name is Nisar Modi. So Nisar Modi, obviously, uh, and and I don't know how much he worked with Craig Zobel in, in terms of developing the story, but obviously he did not want to make a movie of the O'Brien novel, and basically borrowed the setting, a little bit of the premise, and took it in an entirely different direction. Okay, all right, like Under yeah. the Skin did, kind of. Yeah, that's a good that's a yeah. good analogy. Yeah, kind of seems sort of like, hey, let me borrow a starting point, and I'll just do my own thing with this source material, right. which I always applaud. I'm always down. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that too. Yeah, 
I think uh, my disappointment, maybe. Here's the thing for me. I think it's uh, it's really it's amazing acting by all three of them, and it's a very subtle movie. And I think it's actually a really good ending if you think about it. Um, like it's a, I think I like I see why you like it. I think for I just have a per, like well, usually when I don't like a movie, it's something that I it's not really a, a rational intellectual thing. It's just some just some particular baggage I have about the movie. And in this case, it's always like a dismay when there's like a last person on earth post apocalyptic setting. And then they turn out not to be the the last person. Like, and that always happens. And it's always like the same love triangle, like quiet earth or something like it's always two on one. And it becomes that kind of a movie, which you don't really need an apocalypse for. So I'm always like, what if they really were the last person? Like that was the, I don't know. It's probably silly because it's just like I don't know. It's like the writer writes themselves into a corner, like within the first page, but then they always fall back on the oh, and then another guy shows up. So, would you rather a woman have shown up? Oh yeah, of course. I always want that. I didn't mean that as a lurid comment. I meant it as in a character comment because I, I would like to hear what Tom has to say about that whole love, actually, love triangle yeah. thing. But do you think happen. it would work better for you if a woman had shown up? Yeah, because I can't think of a scenario of a movie where that scenario has played out. It's always another dude. It's always. Well, I recommend the uh, first season of Last Man on Earth with Will Forte and Kristen right. Schaal, Kelly Wand. That will that will meet your that's needs. Exactly what I was thinking about. It. <laughs> it's a, it's a no very different dudes. tone. I should warn you, it's yeah. a different tone than C for Zachariah, but. Uh, yeah. But the the dynamics radically shift, and I I was just wondering. Uh, like if you how, how you felt about that whether you know a woman showing up is she going to be who is she going to be interested in that kind of thing if that do, was objection the other thing too is like it's a different kind of movie because there's no um, squalor of any kind like it's not you don't get the sense that there's like a nuclear work they're all really good looking people in a really pretty valley so it's basically just sort of a gothic love triangle story well, um, I think I think John Loomis looks pretty scraggly and I think they allow him at to first and I think yeah. that they, they try to make Chris Pine, I mean, Caleb's hair look, like, ratty. At first. Not for long. He does have that kind of Rover-style haircut. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. <laughs> Very good. But um, how do you feel them. about that weird love triangle thing? I'm sorry, what, what, do we ask yeah, you? Yeah, I was asking you how you feel about that, the way the movie goes as far as the love triangle. Oh, yeah, no, I, I think it's necessary. As far as, like, the movie that I think they were making... Uh, I, I don't – structurally, it has a lot in common with Quiet Earth, and this is one of the reasons I wanted you to see it, Dingus, because I know you, you really like that movie. Um, structurally, I think it has a lot in common with Quiet Earth and that love triangle, but I, I think it's taking a very different approach from Quiet Earth, um, whereas Quiet Earth is clearly an apocalyptic story. I think Z for Zachariah is more of a, uh, a fall from grace story. Uh, it's more about the Garden of Eden and the inherent flaws of humanity. Um, I, I, uh, it, it's basically, you know, it couldn't be a love triangle. It has to be a love triangle because what it's about is how one man, who is otherwise very competent, uh, is undone by pettiness. And how mm. a move from religion to civilization, you know, from faith to, to intellectual, uh, to, to knowledge... Uh, how that leads to a downfall, um, and and this guy becomes a, a, a you know a, a petty kind of tragic hero, uh, and it reminds me in a way, also structurally of, of Othello, which is my favorite Shakespeare play. Like I love that theme of 
a competent, powerful character brought low by a very universal human flaw. Uh, and if you're going to tell a story like that, you definitely need a, a love triangle, I think. You definitely need a third person. You need to create in that character insecurity, jealousy, uh, resentment. Um, yeah, so in a typical apocalypse, you know, the worst of humanity is, is murderers, thieves, rapists, you know, biker gangs and stuff, uh, which always struck me as an overly cynical representation of humanity, but it makes for a better action movie. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of feel that when you look at how people react to disasters like 9-11 or hurricanes or, or earthquakes, it tends to bring them together. Uh, and, and in the face of terrible things, I, I think a lot of times it brings out the best of humanity. Mm. Uh, and this is a movie like that, but the worst of humanity, which I think is how it, what it's ultimately about, isn't you know murderers, thieves, rapists, and biker gangs. It's 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 pettiness. It's simple jealousy and duplicity, and and maybe murder. You know, I'll, I'll be curious to talk about that with you guys. I so whereas Kelly Wan, you just sort of see it as a gratuitous love triangle. I see it as kind of the point of the movie. No, I do. I just don't. Um, you know. I guess that's that like that's a movie I've seen before, I guess. And so when it starts and but the acting draws me in um, and I kind of it's very well. It's effectively told. Uh, I had no idea that that was Margot Robbie, by the way, when I first saw it. I didn't, well, who is that? I, I mean, I don't know who she is. She's from, I, oh, I, didn't, it, it, I didn't see Wolf on Wall Street, so I don't know. Yeah, uh, that's, that's basically her claim to fame is I think I, that was either her first movie or her first American movie. She's Australian. Uh, and she's the absolute opposite of what she's doing mm-hmm. in, in Z for Zachariah. In Z for Zachariah, her character, and I thought she did amazingly with this, the idea is that she's a young woman who really doesn't know how beautiful she is and doesn't understand sexuality. Right. Whereas in, in Wolf of Wall Street, she knows how beautiful she is. She understands sexuality. She uses it to manipulate people. Uh, it's really a fascinating study in two polar opposite characters played by the, the same actress. Uh, and she's very good in both movies. Uh, but she does have that interesting line where um, I think Caleb says um, she looks older than she is or something like that. How old is she supposed to be in this? Do we know? Well, in the book, isn't she like 14 yeah. or something? Yeah, definitely. Like, Well, her uh, brother is going to be 14 at this point. So right. unless they're twins, I mean, how old is she actually? Do you know? Because there is that weird line. Right. That she looks older than she is or something. There's also the line where he goes, have you had wine before? And she's all, of course. Yeah, but I think that's – I love that line because I think that's about communion. <laughs> I thought it was about her being a party girl. No, I thought it was about communion. Yeah, I mean I don't, I don't think – yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know how old she's supposed to be, Dingus. And again, I think it's almost something like you know, what happened to the rest of the world. Oh, okay. I don't think the movie cares that much because visually – that's another thing is there's such a striking difference between her and Chuita Legio for yeah. Yeah. Um, and not just because they're black and white, but but both the way they're, they they act, their their acting styles. Yeah. Um, uh, and so I think the point isn't necessarily is she sixteen, is she twenty three. Uh, I think the point just has to be she kind of represents uh, youth, um, and definitely not prepubescent youth. I mean, she represents a, a woman really uh, exuding this this sexuality. Well, um, it mattered for me because uh, because of that scene where she's. I don't know if you want to call it trying to seduce him or making up for the previous night and morning or what she's doing. And he says, let's not move too fast. That whole thing. I want you. We have plenty of time. That kind of thing that he, that he might say to a younger woman. 
uh, who is oh, right. considerably younger, uh, it, prohibitively younger. Uh, and I mean, it's an, it's an interesting character thing that's going on there, especially given the drunken night that he had the night before when he pushes her up against the wall and he keeps saying, you know, you don't need to fucking help me all the time. And then she does that thing the next night with the wine and tries to seduce him. And he says, no, not yet. And I was wondering, I was wondering what we were supposed to deduce from that as far as her age was concerned. But you might be right, Tom. It might just be one of those things where you don't, don't worry about those types of considerations as far as what, whether, you know, what happened as far as where all the contamination came from. Don't worry about the ages. Just consider the character dynamics. Right. And I think that night where, where she does, like you characterize it as seducing him, but I, I sort of saw it as, her basically giving in to not necessarily the fact that he's obviously attracted to her. Uh, like there, there's a point where he's talking about uh, planting and, and uh, getting the electricity running. And he says something like, you know, at some point it may be more than us. Right. And she says, oh, you think there's other survivors out there? And he says, no, that's not what that's I was thinking about. Great. He lets it yeah. drop. So I think she basically, part of it is she, she realizes yeah. that. Okay. Is She's big she on knows this is going to have to happen. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I don't know that – I think it's basically her telling him, you know what, you're right. Uh, we've got to do this. I don't hate you. I mean, I'm not sure that I would normally be attracted to you, but let's go ahead and move on with that. And I think he knows that's why she's doing it. Uh, and it's not necessarily – maybe Dingus, like that's an interpretation, is that he, he demurs because she's too young. But I think he demurs because he knows she's only doing it uh, out of this, you know, as Kelly Wan said, this this sense of duty and – well, a lot of this movie, and you used that the the phrase "moving on" just then. A lot of this movie, a lot of the, what the characters talk about, especially those two, especially uh, John Loomis and Annie, talk about the 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 point of moving on, what we need to do to move on, uh, and 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 so what you just said makes sense in that regard. Is that maybe she feels a sense of duty as far as moving on, as far as the human race is concerned, and he's saying we have plenty of time for that. Let's get to know each other first, I guess. I don't know. Um, but I, but I was stro- sort of naturally just trying to look at the age as the a- at the age thing, especially with regard to the age of her brother and who she's supposed to be and how young we're supposed to view her as far as how he views her. Right. But she is playing young, right, Tom? Like she's not supposed to be 24. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, she, she doesn't, I don't think the movie is necessarily like it definitely, uh, dresses her down but uh like i love how you can see she's kind of got a little acne going i mean she's not uh you know her hairs they don't they don't like brush her hair and wash it and uh like i I think the movie is just very straightforward here's this person you know we're not going to try to make her look 16 we're not going to put her hair in pigtails uh we're just going to present this actress like she really looks uh but it's a different kind of story though Sure, right, right. And that's, and that's, I think, also something that they didn't take from the source material, right. is it's not going to be about a 14-year-old girl. Wait, I have a question, and maybe it's just a source material-related answer, but like, okay, John's his name, so that's like a John the Baptist reference, I think, maybe? And Caleb was the spy of Moses, and he was, and Chris Pine's always like sneaking around at first, so I get, I get that one, but I don't know why her name is Anne, like why that's what biblical Anne that's referring to. Why is he John the Baptist? Because yeah, he comes first. Plenty, he, comes before, he comes before the, the, the Christ-like uh, 
Chris Pine the actress. No. Like she would see it that way. Like, oh, he's the he was the messenger for the other one, maybe because she's all no. Okay. So there's no Anne that, from that, the Bible. Like, because yeah, that's a possible inter- that's a possible interpretation. I, I don't. And it's a dog oh. named Pharaoh, by the way. I couldn't tell if I, I. Yeah, I wondered was she saying Pharaoh, and is it supposed to be like, like Pharaoh the 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 guy who ruled Egypt, or is it Pharaoh like the the chick pilot in Aliens? Uh, Pharaoh the Dennis yeah, Farina TV series. What's it called, Buddy Pharaoh? I couldn't tell. I, I was trying to hear that dog's name because I I really liked that dog and I liked that how, how he it's came. An awesome dog. You know, in that opening sequence, which reminds me so much of the road, and it's, it has such a great character moment where she uses a car jack to open that the, that chain link fence thing, or that not the, the the chains that are holding the um, the store doors shut, uh, and pushing that shopping cart up the hill, and then how he comes to greet her uh, at just the point where okay. Now I can take my mask off. Um, there, there's, they have just such a great relationship. Uh, I really like that dog. Yeah, and as Dingus mentioned before the podcast, I don't know what happened, but after Chris Pine meets him, he's not in the movie yeah, anymore. Oh, which I, I read online. I missed the poor little guy. I read online because I thought, oh, the dog died or they cut the death scene of the dog. But then I read online somewhere that the dog was a, kind of just a pain in the ass to have on the set. <laughs> <laughs> But, Can we lose the dog? Yeah. <laughs> they also had three kids, and they got rid of them. Just kids are pretty. Right. Yeah. Well, that was an awesome dog. I mean, next to like Max's dog, that was a that was an awesome post-apocalyptic dog. It was a good uh, neighbor character too, with a telescope. They also cut. That is too bad. But yeah, so the dog doesn't necessarily mean. The dog's disappearance isn't necessarily a... a yeah, I didn't think so. I thought it was for practical purposes, because he's completely gone, and there's no explanation given. Which but that is, is strange, because it's Both a movie of those things are weird. Right, right. And you, yeah, exactly, because you have to, like... The movie's really subtle, and it makes you have to pay attention to other things, so it does seem strange that the dog disappears, and it doesn't mean anything. Because you're like, oh, that's obviously a symbol of something. Well, I think you're just supposed to assume the dog is, like, sleeping behind the house or – I mean, it's conspicuous because he was in so many earlier scenes. But I think they just figured, you know what? We won't shoot with the dog. People can just assume it's sleeping somewhere. Yeah. No, she's got John. I don't think, I don't think you're supposed that. to think that – Which I think is a I mistake because I think they need – I think they actually needed the dog towards the end. Like, it was just me and you, and now it's – I don't know. Like, it's the one faithful organism to me. Margaret Robbie's character. Well, I'm willing to accept it for practical purposes. I mean, that's okay. For uh, for a movie yeah. of this uh, for, of this size and of what was probably its budget, if you have to lose the dog, that's okay with me. It's just it was just it's so conspicuous. It's weird. Yeah. Otherwise, the movie is so it's so competently made. However, I mean, I'm not as crazy about that whole uh, love triangle as you are, Tom. And I understand that you you're saying that it's the point of the movie. Um, I just I, I know I just didn't work for me as much. Uh, uh, but it was just so weird in a movie that's so well made with such great acting and looks so beautiful uh, to have this this main character. I mean, he's not even credited. Poor little dog. Uh, so obviously, he they just didn't like the guy. Well, they needed the dog to set up that someone else was sniffing around the house. Um <laughs> But wait, when you say the love triangle didn't work, you just talk about Pine's character being too Chris Piney? 
Uh, I just wasn't I wasn't very crazy about Chris Chris Pine in this. I loved her. I loved him. I think you think that I think that uh, Tweedle edge you for man that guy. I, I cannot get over the things that he's doing in this movie. There's so many things that he does in this movie that are shockingly brilliant to me. I mean, if for no other reason to love this movie, and as much as I like what she's doing, just watching what he's doing, I could watch this movie again and again just to watch what he is doing in different scenes. The looks he gives, the way he works with things, the way he works with his hands. Uh, there's a scene where he... Uh, where he's talking to her in this in this whispery tone, um, there's there's so many things that he does, even, and especially that scene where he's drunk and he pushes her up against the wall and he's kind of alternately sobbing and sexual against her. Um, even, even just when the guy's lying there asleep, he's just brilliant. He's he's entirely brilliant. Um, and 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 for me, Chris Pine showing up, which I did not know was going to happen. Uh, was kind of a little bit of a letdown for me because I, I was liking what was be, going on yeah. so much between the two of them. But I think Tom is ultimately right in that you need to introduce another character element in order to spark what else is going on in this particular valley and in, in the world of this movie. So I understand why Tom says that's what it's about. It, it just felt a little bit of a letdown to me. I mean, otherwise, you're just going to have a movie about these two people living in a perfect situation. I mean, without that's kind of the dramatic tension. Um, I guess you could have the movie go other directions. But if you're going to have a movie about jealousy and possible murder, uh, that's not really going to work with just the two. Right, right, right. But I, but I, I guess it was it was finding out that it was a movie about jealousy and possible murder. When I was trying right. to think, when I was starting to think, it was about something else. It's also uh-huh. kind of a stacked deck because, like, it's Chris Pine, so it's like, and he's well, supposed Pine, to be. I think. He's, no, I know. He's but, fine in other stuff. I mean, I love him in uh, in other stuff. No, no, I'm saying he's as far as like, here. it's just right, right. No, I'm just talking about from Chai Wattel's character's point of view. Like, not only does another dude show up, but it's Chris Pine. So it's like, wait, what? Now, that's, like his his reaction's kind of similar to yours. Like, wait, it's this kind of movie? I thought this was a post nuclear like. <laughs> It's the I didn't know I was in a horror movie thing, but it's like I thought I was in a romantic movie about with me and Margot Robbie, and then Chris Pine shows up. What? The well, fuck? I thought I was in more of a character mystery. I mean, right. What's most interesting to me is figuring out who John Loomis is, and and some of the most interesting parts of this movie are finding out the things that he reveals about himself, the things that he does, and wondering what he did before this happened. I mean, and part of that is because the actor is so good at layering in his performance. But, but weirdly enough, I started to think because of his performance and because of what I was most interested in this movie is, you know, maybe he's the guy who caused this whole thing to happen. Maybe he's the cause of this Nuclear whole disaster. War. Yeah, because of where he worked and and the outfit he had and the things that he developed and like who he was. This. This idea that maybe he did it and he's dragging this wagon through the world to try to find a place that he hasn't contaminated because there's a couple things he lies about, a couple things he admits. He just seems like he's hiding things. He's vague. He's got this weird thing about well, that's not my wife. That's just a girl I knew a long time ago. And it's not necessarily hiding things for uh, for evil intent. But there's so many interesting things about that character, and I just love that character so much. So it was a little disappointing when it was like, oh, one guy and another girl and another guy show us shows up. But I, I understand what you're saying, Tom, that if, if you're going to show – if it's going to be a movie about jealousy, then 
then you have to have that other guy show up or else. Well, not even necessarily jealousy. It's going to be about a a movie about uh, like pettiness. I mean, he's got to, you've got to undo this character somehow. There's got to be some downfall for him because I think that's what it's telling us is that basically humanity is flawed. You know, A is for Adam. Humanity was run out of the Garden of Eden. Z is for Zachariah. We've come this far and and we're still in that situation where people in an idyllic situation will ruin it with human tendencies. Um, that's the thing. It's like, it's kind of predictable, I think maybe. And that's what me and Dingus are like shying away from a little bit. Like, yeah, we know, we know what's going to happen. We know who's going to win. It's the same play out as in quiet earth, even like the new guy gets scotched. Actually, that's not what happens in quiet earth. Forget all that. Well, I don't. I don't think Tweedledee Geoffroy does win. I mean, I think the movie is about him compromising yeah. his integrity. Because I don't think uh, I've said before, and I wouldn't push it so far with this. I've talked before about the difference between subtlety and amb- ambiguity. A lot of times, someone will describe something as ambiguous. When I disagree, I think it's clear what happened. The director is just being subtle. Um, a bad example is the director's cut of, of Blade Runner, where I don't think Ridley Scott's being particularly subtle. Uh, but some people think, oh, it's ambiguous. Is Deckard a replicant? Of course he is. The movie is very clear about it. Uh, I don't think there's any ambiguity in that. And I think it's just some people mistaking uh, subtlety for ambiguity because they're used to being told very clearly, bad. this is that, this is this. Right. Um, so part of me really uh, – and, and I really like that it's not – I mean, there's so many things in this movie that you're not told – uh, and I'm so glad you're not told what actually happened. Um, but I, I, part of me wonders, is this subtlety or is this ambiguity? Um, why are you glad, why are you I, glad you're not told what happened? This is not the point. The point is that it gets to the point that he would do that, that he considers it. But you know what the he did. The point is that she believes that she believes he did it. I mean, the point is that they had this perfect existence. Chris Pine came along. She made a choice to be with Chris Pine. That choice was taken away from her, and now she's stuck with him. He is stuck knowing that he took a coward's way out. And that uh, she knows. And that she knows. And, uh, you know, basically, I think he has lost, and I think it's notable that at the end of the movie, he is sitting in an impromptu church with his hands clasped like he's praying. Um, Behind her. Right. But why is not showing us what we all know happened? We don't all know happened, though. I mean, I think that... how is that not ambiguity? talk about... Well, we don't. We, the director doesn't tell us what happened. I should say, but the director doesn't tell us what happened, and therefore some people might not know what happened. Like it's not. You, it, it's a different stingus in a way between uh, knowledge and faith. You know, we aren't directly shown what happened. We kind of have to deduce on our own. Did this happen? Did it not? Uh, I am pretty clear that it did yeah, happen. Yeah, we all are. He but just I, chose not yeah, to well, show it to us, right? Right. But do, don't you understand how someone could then? see this movie and think, oh, maybe Chris Pine really did leave. <laughs> no, I, I don't I don't think so. I think <clears> that, <throat> okay. I don't think that that's a possible interpretation. Okay. I mean so other than other universe. than doing some sort of CSI when's the body going to show up kind of a thing. Um otherwise I, I don't know why and I, I I get most of the time when you when you talk about this difference between subtlety and ambiguity, but in this case I I don't understand why Craig Zobel didn't just bother to just show it. I mean, unless, unless, he didn't, unless he didn't know when he was making the movie what decision he was going to make. And I mean, I don't know. It's it's a weird distinction. It's an odd distinction. 
I don't necessarily need to see him fall over those waterfalls and, and crash into the water. Uh, it's just weird. It's just a weird decision. Well, I think I think a lot of people would see this and not be sure that uh, maybe maybe it's the fifty three percent who didn't like it on, oh. on Rotten Tomatoes. But I, I clearly think that there, there's a reason that it is subtle that it's not shown. Um, it's a lot of expressions. I, I don't. Well, so is he? Is but is he also trying to lead us astray then with that thing with the boots on the edge of the rocks? No, I think it's just sort of about guilt. Yeah. Like he knows what he's done, and yeah. All right, and what about the wa- the water glass being pushed off the table? I mean, is he is it, isn't he trying to lead us astray? It's a Bible. A... Wait, well, how's that? It's not a Bible. It's just astray. a book. Uh, no. Because because she's playing out what's going on on the cliffs, and so are, are we supposed to wonder has has he been killed? Has is John Loomis going to commit suicide? Is he just trying to lead us astray and until a reveal? What's what's going on there? Do you understand what I'm what I'm? No, I don't understand what you mean by astray. You it, mean astray try, and trying to make a reveal where there isn't really a reveal. As a filmmaker, that's what I'm asking. Uh, what what's being revealed though? Yeah, I, don't, I don't really understand what you're asking. That 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 John Loomis is the one who comes walking in. You know, uh, right. one of them goes over the cliffs. John Loomis puts his boots on the edge of the rocks. It could very well be a situation where he lets um, Caleb live and he sacrifices himself and she's pushing the water glass off of the table. Uh, and and it's all this isn't it isn't it all this of a piece of trying to surprise us? I don't think so I think the whole th- I don't see how those three things all work together the pushing the glass off the table him standing at the edge of the rocks and Caleb about to fall into the water yeah but I don't see any of that as inconsistent like I don't see I don't but, see it as a oh which one's like, going to come back thing because like make her try and mess with us I don't think it's don't you think it's like a suspense thing because I, I thought she did because you you have I the might be misremembering the sequence Right. Good. Because because I thought she doesn't push the glass off till after he comes back. Maybe, maybe I'm misremembering that. Right. That, that doesn't happen. Yeah. So you go from uh, the the look between Chris Pine and Tweedle Gia four uh, to him coming back and her saying, "Let's sit down. Let's have a drink." She says, "John, I'm sorry," and it's clearly not an "I'm sorry, I made a mistake." It's an "I'm sorry, I'm about to have to tell you this." Right. Uh, and at that point, he says, well, uh, 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 Caleb left. And then, goes uh, and then later on, it's on the uh, yeah, and then later on, it's him back at there finishing the water wheel, standing on the edge of the cliff, her just dejected, pushing the glass off of the, uh, right. of the, the tape. Right. Then I remember the sequence completely wrong. My mistake. Well, maybe I got it wrong, but I think it's pretty clear that the moment uh, – yeah, well, I, I don't know. The, 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 but the glass is definitely after she knows that Caleb is no longer yeah. around for whatever reason. Yeah. She's visualizing it. That's okay. right. Right. Yeah, because the, the first thing she knows, by the way, oh, actually, this is even after two, is when she hears the uh, the refrigerator turn on and realizes the power's been restored. Right, right. But that's also, of course, after she's been told and she knows at what cost all of this happened. Yeah. But there's, I think there's hardly any evidence that Chris Pine didn't go over. 
Like, he says the line right. about, yeah, I don't think there's anything at that wherever that place he was going to go to. So, like, he wouldn't have said that right before. Well, and also he knows, too, like, uh, uh, Trilogy of Four, his sort of last hope is to tell Chris Pine, she only had sex with you because I told her to. Yeah. And Chris Pine calls his bluff on it. It's like, I, you know, that even, I love that yeah. line, you know. Jealousy doesn't become Yeah, that is, a great, that is a great moment. I just don't believe you. And, he, and at that point, he, uh, like, Trilogy of Four has... You know, he's got nothing left in his pocket, so to speak. Like, there, he's got no more tricks. He's he's completely lost. He knows, too, and I love, too, you know this from what the actors are doing. When he comes out, when Chris Pine comes out that morning, and the way he touches Annie on the head. Yeah. And Tweedle foresees that and realizes, ah, fuck, they just had sex. Yeah. Uh, but there's also, a, a, to me, a really a great moment in the movie. It's Chris Pine. It's the, it's the expression on his face right before the part Dingus is talking about. Like, it really is an expression like, dude, I know you're too big a pussy to let me go over the edge. I knew that. Right. But it's like, he's wrong. But it's like, that. Ex- the, the expression on his face is so smug. I'm pretty sure any, like, even if there wasn't a Margot Robbie, like, anyone would have let him go over the edge. He looks well, so I fucking think that, full of himself. But I think there's more to John Loomis than that. I mean, what about that whole story about the kid? Yeah. Well, and that might be the whitewashed version, too. Well, that's what I'm wondering about. No, I would like to ask you guys that. When he when he says to her, I uh, I killed him, about is he... About the brother? About the brother. Is he just that's saying... As far as the movie's concerned, is he just saying, uh, I killed him in that I left him by the road? Is he saying... Is he confessing to her, uh, I was lying about that, I, I just actually killed him, and I think he's your brother. And then she says, that's okay. I don't think she's that clear about it, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think he's basically confessing that yeah. that boy. I, I, I mean, the mo- you see the two the moment he sees the the when she shows him the photo album and says, "This is my little brother," because uh, I've seen this a couple of times. Tuilo Geofor is clearly wanting to convey there's something going on with him when he sees that oh, picture. Okay. So when he says to her before, you know, I uh, and he's prompted to do this by Chris Pine's stupid story about the guys yeah. tearing each other apart. Right, right. Uh, he basically is like, well, it's tough for me, too. I had to let this kid die. And then he kind of realizes, I think the idea is, he realizes, you know, he told that story, uh, and he didn't want to put that little bit at the end, and he later on has to make up for it and explain to her, you know, actually, I did kill him, and it, I'm pretty sure it was your brother. Yeah, that that was my question, is if it's a confession to her that he actually did kill him, not I killed him by leaving him there. Right. I think. Well, I think it's both. I mean, it's both. I mean, it, yeah. It's like, is it? Would it have been more terrible if he just let him die normally, or is it more terrible that he directly killed right. him? Right. Uh, but but having to he, explain to her, I I killed him, and he's your brother. But but and, and I don't. I didn't mean to make it glib, but her response is pretty much, "It's okay." I mean, I think she understands very well. And one of the things I love about her character is how she understands and. How she understands the new reality of the world, um, and, w- and one of the things I love about this, the world of this movie, is that they've created um, a religious character who's not a fundamentalist fia- uh, fanatic, uh, who who has a practical understanding of the world, and understands that uh, we're going to have to have sex without getting married. We're going to have to kill people every now and then. We're going to have to do things. We're going to, and sometimes we're going to get drunk. She's not this weird 
fanatical fundamentalist Christian that you would see like, nope, we have to have a marriage ceremony before we can have sex. Um, I mean, I really like her character in that regard. And I, and I kind of like her character saying it's okay. Understand if you had to kill my brother, you had to kill him and you did a, you did a merciful thing or whatever. Yeah, and I think the more direct expression of that is her attitude towards the church and tearing it down and using it for the water wheel. Obviously a lot of that is a metaphor yeah. uh, and how she responds to that. And it's like, well, let's wait. Let's not necessarily do it. And how she finally reluctantly gives him permission and even participates uh, in tearing this church down using, too, the tractor that he helped repair. Not repair, but that he was able to get fuel right. for. I think that's notable as well. Uh, well, part of that is Chris After Pine. Pine shows up, Chris right. Pine helping her or uh, manipulating her a little bit as far as faith is concerned. Do we believe he's really a, a faithful Christian, or is he just being manipulative? No. Yes. Yeah, but again, that's something too where I, I think, like the murder, you, you're pretty sure it happened. Like here, you're pretty sure he's being manipulative, but I can see people. I mean, it's not necessarily – there's that weird moment where they're hunting, and you're thinking, oh, is he pointing the rifle, right. the rifle at John? Yeah. Uh, but I think that you you could – I can understand people coming away from this movie thinking uh, Caleb was actually not disingenuous. Uh, no, he spied. He wasn't necessarily a bad guy. Mm-hmm. He, but he says he – expl- he covers that, and he says, you don't know who to trust these days. I had to make sure you guys were okay. He stole eggs. That's why – Oh, that's why the eggs were missing. Very nice. Right. Yeah, she says, why did you steal her eggs? And his story's vague as shit. So it's like, he plays him as like a guy who's done stuff he's not going to talk about. But he doesn't seem burdened by them the way Chai Wotel's character. Like, Chai Wotel's character has a conscience. But I I don't get the sense from the way Chris Pine plays him that this guy necessarily does. Like, that's what I came away with. So I'd be really surprised if... To, like, have seen that movie with someone and they go, wow, I can't believe that they killed poor Chris Pine. Like, we're supposed to feel bad for Chris Pine's character. Like, You just said burdened, and it reminds me that her last name is Burden. Right, and Burden. I forgot about that. <laughs> so, it's what, is, what does that, that represent, Kelly? <laughs> uh, something I'd like to have on my back. Oh, wait, wait, wait. No, uh, what, no, we're uh, not ready for that yet. I know, you just set me up. What am I, I supposed to do? I was fumbling for the sound cue. I, I wasn't just set ready I... yet either, but you're just going like, to throw lobby that. How dare you? Well, uh, I was delighted to find out the guy who shot this, the DP, uh, is a fellow named Tim yeah. Orr. Uh, he does all of David Gordon Green's That's right. Movies. He did uh, Your uh, Highness. Woo! Oh, my God. <laughs> See? <laughs> That's not the one I was thinking of, but yeah, you're, you're right, Dingus. He, he did, did Your Highness. He also did, uh, uh, but what, Scandal is Our Middle Name? What was that name? That movie called that no one saw? No, I don't. Scandal is Our Business? Oh, no, what is it? Our, our Controversy is Our Business. It's that thing with Billy Bob Thornton and uh, Sandra Bullock our playing. Our brand uh, is something. Our, our brand is Scandal. Our brand is Controversy. What? Our brand is. I have no idea. Thor- our brand is Crisis. Our brand is Terribleness. It's, our brand is Crisis. I think you're right, Dingus. Uh, it's David Gordon Green's last movie that. Tanked, no one went to see it. It's a comedy with Billy Bob Thornton and Sandra Bullock. But I just I wanted to tell you guys that he did your highness. I'm so happy about that. Wait, no, I want to see it, because comedies that no one likes are sometimes really interesting. Well, it should be uh, on DVD. Billy Bob Thornton's funny. It's gonna have a long trip to He's it funny today. in Fargo. Uh, and um did you see Compliance, Kelly? No, I want to. Right. I didn't even know it's about uh, – right. I, when I read what it was about, I was like, oh, wait, 
Why didn't those jerks tell me to see this? I'm sure I've mentioned it to you. Oh, I meant different jerks. Oh, right, okay. I meant the film. Uh, Dingus, I haven't seen it since uh, it was first available. Are there any points of continuity? I know you watched it recently. With Z for Zachariah? Um, other than... I mean, other than sort of being about human foibles. Uh, right, other than being about uh, just uh, being able to break down uh, what... Uh, you know, foibles is a good way to put it. Um, the uh, w- the weaknesses that we have and, and the ways that we can be exploited by our our own desires, our own needs, or or you know, it, it's a little bit it's a it's a little weird to look at it. I, I kind of almost wish I'd seen compliance after watching Z for Zechariah because I think it might have a uh, have a greater impact. Um, but I think the the music was done by the same woman who who did both uh, who did both movies. Um, uh, but uh, it's it's just so uncomfortable to watch. It's a really hard movie to watch um, because this young woman just gets exploited so horribly. And I, you, for me, it's hard to watch that kind of thing. Um, uh, I'm, uh, I thought of compliance when I saw recently a, a movie called Stanford Prison Experiment, which is uh, yeah. about the Stanford Prison Experiment, which is actually very good. I wasn't expecting much and really liked it. Uh, but it's it's about this idea of how do people respond in in situations of authority, how does it make them act? Uh, and interestingly enough, also recently out is a movie called Experimenter, mm-hmm. uh, starring Peter Sarsgaard as a psychologist named James Milgram, uh, Stanley Milgram, uh, who also has this famous psychological experiment called the Milgram Experiment, which is also about how do people respond in, in situations of authority. And the Milgram Experiment is where uh, folks were tricked into believing they were administering an electric shock oh. Oh, to, an, yeah, to yeah. an unseen person, and how willingly uh, they would escalate the the power of the shock to where it was eventually like lethal levels. Uh, they really weren't hurting anybody, but two thirds of the people, yeah, they thought they were, and two thirds of the people didn't stop the experiment. Yeah. Uh, so there's a movie about this psychologist, which isn't nearly as good as Stanford Prison Experiment with Peter Sarsgaard, and the amazing thing about Experimenter, I wanted to tell you guys this, uh, Stanley Milgram, apparently a TV show was made about this, and the TV show featured William Shatner. <laughs> so, in the movie Experimenter, William Shatner is played by Kellen Lutz. What? <laughs> it is a beautiful thing to behold. <laughs> Does he do an impression? What does he do? Uh, kind of. I mean, he's sort of trying. Um, oh my you wouldn't God. know. It's, I mean, he's got on a great sort of wig thing, and it, it's just adorable. Oh I mean, God. we. So, just so you guys know. Okay. Well, I, I had to get around to it. It was circuitous, the circuitous gonna, path from compliance, but. Uh, is, yeah. How much of it is that? It, it's only a very small part. I mean, it's just a couple of scenes, uh, but it's really funny seeing Kellen Lutz. I really miss that guy. Chat. Like Taylor, I, Walker, did, yeah. I didn't even like. He's not even funny to me. He's just a dude. He's just a piece of shit. We, it's kind of funny how we came away from that Hercules movie with a, with affection for him, which yeah. we didn't feel yeah, for, like, yeah. for like for like Jai Courtney. Like none of us. Um, <laughs> Sam Worthington. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's really something adorable about how awful Kellen Lutz is. Isn't yeah. There? yeah. He's oblivious too. Like he doesn't mean ill, really. But Taylor Lautner's a scumbag. <laughs> I don't know why I think wow. that. Which one's the guy from uh, Lone Survivor that you love so much? Oh, uh, uh, Kit. Uh, I like Kit. Uh, it was also great. I mean, you either have to see Lone Survivor or the first or the second season of True Detective, yeah, and you'll you'll come over and appreciate you for that guy. Right. I put them all in the same mental box. Sadly, he's not bad in John Carter and Battleship, right? 
No, but they all have such silly names. Yeah, they do. But Kellen Lutz, I, I think you got to love anyone named Kellen Lutz. All right, can we do over-unders now? Yeah, so what are your overs and unders? All right, my under would be a movie called After Earth. Um, uh, I liked it a lot. <laughs> what? No, not, not After Earth. Um, uh, what's the – damn it. I, I wrote down the wrong title. That's a lot. No, Another Earth. Oh, another. Oh, another Earth. The Brit Marling. Yeah, thank thing. you. The Brit Marling one. Yeah, not After Earth. What an idiot. Uh, yeah, I wrote down. I wrote down the wrong thing. Another Earth, um, which had a lot of uh, good, weird relationship stuff in it, but ultimately uh, just kind of fell apart for me. Um, I think this. Oh movie right. Is, I don't know what that is now. Sorry. Yeah, another planet appears on the other side of the sun. Um, after Earth, when it dork. It sucks. Um, no, it doesn't suck. Uh, I think uh, it's. I think it's. Like it I think it's good. There's there's plenty of good stuff in there, but uh, but there are stuff. Also, that I just got a little bit tired of, um, but it's 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 a little bit under the uh, this movie, which I really and, and and to be clear, I really did like Z for Zechariah a lot, a whole lot, um, and so above it, uh, I can't, I obviously cannot put Quiet Earth because you guys have mentioned it far too many times, uh, and I've, you can, I mean, yeah. you love it. And by the way, Dingus, I wanted to point out, you and I have sort of disagreed about whether the poster for Quiet Earth, which shows the last scene, I kind of think that's a spoiler. You disagree. I think the poster for Z for Zachariah is a spoiler. There's a big old picture of Chris Pine there. Yeah, I loved yeah. not knowing Chris Pine was going to be in this. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't. Yeah. I didn't know anything about that. And there's that that weird moment where she's playing the organ, and uh, and this figure appears behind her. And it, and I thought it was clear in the reflection that she looked at when the dog was like lying down next to the organ that that's not. Um, John Loomis's uh, silhouette behind her. There's something else going on here. Um, right. But I didn't know I for sure have. if that was what was going on. Uh, and then the eggs are disappearing and there's something weird. And then the finally he shows up. So I, I like, I, I agree with you, Tom. I like just finding out, oh, geez. And really, that's him? Chris Pine is here? Captain Kirk? Hello? Shatner's in one, Chris Pine's in the other one. Two Kirks. Oh, I could have brought it about. I could have brought it up that way. Yeah. Two point, Kirks. Two I didn't Earths. have to take that long, torturous route through a couple other movies. Yeah. Yeah. There's a there's a much quicker degree of separation. So uh, for my over, I would put the movie Blindness, and I don't know that I can uh, justify it that well, other than the feel. Um, there's this there, there's this weird uh, sort of post apocalyptic. We don't quite know what's going on. Feel in the movie Blindness, um, and and this weird. I'm not sure how to put this. Um, um, Tom, you mentioned before Kelly Wan did his uh, opsis about words that you've you read, um, but you didn't know how to pronounce. Right. And, right. and one of those words for me is the word um, inchoate. <laughs> yeah. If you, you know how to pronounce it, apparently. Um, but I started uh, with inchoate, too. Uh, I did that too, and then a friend of mine was like, "It's so cute because you've read so many things, but yeah. you haven't spoken them out loud." Yeah, uh, so we're smarter. We mispronounce things because we're so smart. There's there's this weird uh, thing that goes on as far as the relationships are concerned, uh, where they're where where they're just happening, uh, and you don't quite know where they're going to go or what's going to happen. Um, in the direction they're they're going to go, uh, that happens in some instances in blindness that I can't quite reach or 
or or explain right now, but it reminds me and feel of what happens in Z for Zechariah. So I, I'm afraid I can't quite explain exactly what I mean when I put blindness just above Z for Zechariah, but I I love the movie Blindness. So anyway. Kelly Wan, what are your overs and unders? Mm, I wanted Dingus to do quieter so he had double earths for his over under. Well, I had I had triple earths and one of them was bad. One of them was wrong. Oh, I see what you're saying. That was the middle, though. Um, wait, Tom, I learned something about relationships too. I just want you to know from Z for Zachariah. Oh well, give me your over under first, and then let's find that out what that was. Did you already do your over under? I did not. You're gonna go last. Oh right, right. Okay, so uh, my over. So uh, as far as movies about unlikely relationships, and this is because otherwise I'm not gonna really have an over because I I like this a lot. Um, and then I don't want to do another Fury Road where it's like I don't have an over. So what I did was movies about unlikely relationships. Uh, and uh, how much I appreciated what the actors were doing, uh, how much I appreciated how they were dealing with a non-typical relationship. So if you look at the relationship between two actors, Tweedle Giafor and Margot Robbie, who I think are both amazing in this, uh, my under would be Punch Drunk Love for the awesome stuff happening between Emily Watson and Adam Sandler, who I think are both amazing. And my over would be Brokeback Mountain with Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, where the stuff they're doing is an unlikely relationship, and the stuff they're doing is absolutely amazing. I would put that a notch above what Woodley Geofor is doing with Margot Robbie in, in this movie. Your under wow. is Punch Drug Love? Yeah. As far, well, as wow. far as the relationship. If you look at the relationship between two characters and the actors playing them, right. okay. I mean, and I love what, what Adam Sandler is doing with Emily Watson, but this is bracketed. They're all three of a kind. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, yeah. Decimal. Kelly, what, what is your over and under for Z for Zachariah? Uh... I want to say I actually did really like the movie, but even as I was watching, I go, "This is so Tom. Like it's so to your zone. Like, what does that mean? How dare you? Uh, it's just got everything you like. Like it's the acting is good, and it's shot. I don't know. You know what I mean? There's, a, sure. there's biblical subtext. Like it's like a, somebody who's like, "Oh, you got to go see Eight Men Out. It's the best baseball movie ever." <laughs> <laughs> But unlike Eight Men Out, you don't have to be into religion. To no, no, no. That's a, yeah, I did appreciate it. But even as I was appreciating, I go, damn that Tom. Here's his Tomness. I don't know. Like, yeah. you know, I don't know. That's no, I definitely feel like uh, like Craig, Craig Zobel made this movie for me. Thank you, Craig Zobel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so my over-unders, I did differently from each other. So my mm-hmm. – <laughs> for some reason, and I think – I think you. I think Dingus finds this uh, outrageous, but I think we like to find ways to make the overs and unders like reversed. Like putting, finding a way to put Punch Drunk Love under it is the champ. But I love. I mean, yeah, I, don't, I, I don't. mean, what, I'm not. Yeah, I really like. And again, the relationship is an overall movie. But Punch like, Drunk Love is very. It's different. almost like you started yeah. with Punch Drunk Love and the went. Okay, what's the connect possible connective tissue could I come up with to like justify it? Because that's what I'm good at. Oh wait, I know relationships, acting, and then uh, sure, fair enough. I mean, yeah, it's... but I mean, you could have said, you know, Poseidon for the same reason. What? <laughs> wait, why? Why would I? Yeah, because you just a movie with an awesome relationship, and I, I actually find it's a, lot... a, a fascinating comparison. I. I just have to ruminate over it. 
What, the Poseidon comparison? No, no, the that's Poseidon comparison is completely un- upside down, and I'm dangling from the chandelier. So that, okay. My over is, <laughs> as movies uh, about my favorite love triangle in an isolation setting movie. <laughs> okay, good. I like where this is going already. Yeah. Me too. Is Survival Island with Kelly Brook and Billy Zane and uh, the Latino bartender who, like, started the fire on the boat that shipwrecked them because he threw a towel on it, like Chachi did at Arnold's. Biggest, do you believe this is a real movie? Uh, I don't, but I, it's but I do want to guess Kelly's over, and I wonder if it also has Billy Zane in it. <laughs> but that's my over. Yeah, I under. Yeah, I think it's are you thinking Billy Zane and Nicole Kidman and maybe Sam? Perhaps. Uh, that's a good one too. Love, not much of a love triangle though. No, it's no. more like sort of. A, it starts out though, and there's a dog that disappears, kind of. Oh, Kelly. Oh, too, soon. too way too soon. But who knows uh, what Kelly's definition of love is, Tom? My definition of under is another movie about a dog, and it's I Am Legend. Um which is my least favorite. See, I do the bracketing differently. It's like a, it's like a distance. Like hey, do you do the bracket diff- bracketing differently by not doing yeah, it? It's not a vast well, difference. It's a, it's a vast deference. It's like just, <laughs> it's an Isle of Langerhans. Um, it's uh, I am legend. Cause that was the most bummed out. I ever was that the last man on earth, like wasn't alone. Like, Oh, and again, uh, that uh, dog goes away too. That dog, we lose that dog as well. You that think it's totally, guys? Damn it! What Kelly Wan brought it yeah, up? Yeah, you're right. It's true. We lose Sam. Yeah, but at least we know. That's just because not because Sam was a dick. See, I wonder if that's why they lost the dog in Paranormal Activity too. Also, like, there's the guy dog's that... being annoying. Let's have the ghost kill it. <laughs> Uh, with respect to Margot Roby, uh, I got an organ she can play. One, two, three, only you and me. Got one eighty to three, and I'm caught in between. Counting one, two, three, feet apart, and I'm free. Getting down with three to feet, everybody loves. I love, so the composer for, uh, uh, Z for Zachariah. And the thing is, he said she also did, was, was it compliance she also did? Yeah. They don't remember it's the Heather music. something. Right? Heather McIntosh, McIntosh yes. Yeah. Uh, and I love how that theme for Anne that played on the organ is like a cross between a, a hymn and a dirge. Uh, it's a beautiful bit of music. Um, so yes. Heather McIntosh, do more movies. But why? Why does the electricity matter as far as the organ is concerned? It doesn't. Uh, that's why it's out in the barn. All right, it, but it seems to that's be... why she could. That's why she can play it in the church before the electricity is restored. Right, exactly. But it seems to be a part of the piece of the electricity coming on. I don't think so because she definitely plays it. You know, she's playing it when Chris Pine sneaks up. Oh, oh I know and... that. But she sees the refrigerator and she clicks on a bunch of lamps and then she goes out to play the organ. So it's all a connection. I I wonder if she knows and. It, and Again, it, and the movie doesn't really tell us. I wonder if part of that is her realizing that, that Chuidal Geofor has moved the organ out into the barn. Because right. previously, there's a shot of Chuidal Geofor just seeing it in the corner of the ruined church. Then we see, you know, the organ's been moved to the barn. The benches are arranged like pews. Um, so, yeah, I'm not entirely sure what was going on. There. Are you guys arguing over what point in a movie an appliance was moved? That, that's my next three by three. 
Kelly, what is this week's 3x3? Three oh, three? boy. Yeah. It has a theme this week, a little theme song. <laughs> music. You wrote music for the 3x3, three three, Kelly. One. That's going above and beyond. My it's missiles doing music notes in the sky. With Can you play that on an organ? Uh, this week's 3x3 three three is best missiles in movies, which I feel is too good a topic. For an obscure art film like *See for Zachariah*, this deserved to be it's perfect. A Star for this. Wars. Uh, that's a good point. That's true. I forgot about that aspect. Okay, disregard. Uh, all right. Well, I'm announcing next week's three by three, so I'll get to go first. Um, to, to avoid any entanglement with the law, uh, I just want to say what I think of as a missile. Okay. A missile. <laughs> I mean, you could say a missile. A missile is technically it's anything that you throw. Uh, uh, I gave you something fun, and you're. Kelly Wan, can I finish? Right, can right. I please finish? All right, all right. It's technically anything that you throw. You, Kelly Wan just said missile. He did not elaborate. He didn't explain you didn't what was allowed. Oh, no, you actually only said not Dr. Strangelove, which has no missiles, by the way. It has a bomb. Uh, so, Kelly Wan, uh, I had to take it upon myself to sort of narrow this down. Because a missile, if I throw a rock at you, Kelly Wan, that's a missile. Uh, generally, you know, even if the, the throwing is chemically or mechanically augmented, like a slingshot, that's a missile. A rocket. That's a missile. Generally, though, when we use the word missile... What if they go through water? Is that a missile? Uh, like a, yeah, like a Poseidon out of a submarine. It's that's a missile. infinite circumferences and infinite missiles. <laughs> a missile is a rocket that has some sort of a post-launch guidance system. My God. So it, no, you guys are laughing. You guys are laughing. But the idea is a missile is something that after it's launched, it can track a target and correct its course. You know, because a rocket... It's just something that gets fired and, and it's gone. So when you know, it's going to hit the whatever. organ to the appliance. It yeah. All right. Well, so at any rate, so missiles. Uh, I'm not the cop here. I'm just saying what I'm doing for my own. Uh, I then proceeded to break that rule. <laughs> what? Even have this Yeah. Well, I, this is the rule I ignored. Now here's another rule I ignored. I didn't ignore it for my number one and number two, but I didn't. I wasn't. I, I really just wanted to include this in my number three pick because I hate this scene and it's so stupid. And it's why I hate the movie. Uh. And I just wanted to talk about it. I wanted to bring it up. It's actually the scene is in two different movies. Uh, at the end of Kickass. Uh, oh yeah. Aaron is it Aaron Taylor Johnson who plays that dude? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So Aaron Taylor Johnson picks up yes. a. Uh, it's like an anti-tank missile. It's like a bazooka. I mean, it's not a guided thing, I don't think. I mean, I think they're guided very It's a rocket. It is basically right, Kelly Wan. It's a rocket, like an RPG. Which is uh, a grenade. He picks it up, and he shoots it into Mark Strong. And it then pushes Mark Strong out of the skyscraper without, from Mark Strong's weight, losing any sort of altitude. It still just goes in a perfectly straight line. And then it goes out a little ways, and it detonates. It blows up in midair presumably blowing up Mark Strong. Uh, that is the stupidest use of a missile ever, especially because, and this is so typical of freaking Mark Miller and Matthew Vaughn, the director, is complicit in this, because he's completely then sidelined the cool chick character, because this act is Aaron Taylor Johnson saving Chloe Grace Morris. Yeah, after he lost his own fight. Yeah, exactly. He, got his, he gets his ass kicked, yeah. but Chloe Grace Morris has been so cool in this movie, and she's so awesome, Oh, Mark Strong gets the upper hand. He's going to kill her. Here comes the stupid dude who really... I would have been way finer. I would have been way happier with this movie if Aaron Taylor Johnson wasn't even in it. 
Much less, yeah. I didn't need him saving the day. Uh, uh, and he even has his little stupid tagline, which I'd forgotten, which is, "Hey, why don't you pick on someone your own size?" Ew. Why is that his tagline? Why? I mean, why is that, that the line he uses? Geez, I didn't even throwing, remember yeah. that. Yeah, because the idea that he has is Chloe Moritz Grace is shorter than Mark Strong. I mean, that what that that means? That's a terrible line. To I have the high grounds. A good one too. <laughs> Star Wars, very good. Uh, so, but this—it's not enough. By the way, that this mo- this stupid scene is in one movie. They show us this scene again in Kick-Ass Two, which is already a terrible movie. Uh, but in case you didn't get enough of it in Kick-Ass One, you get to see it in Kick-Ass Two. They enhanced it. Wait, I don't. I don't think it's. I don't even think it was remastered. They just like lifted it, edited it in. They're like, hey, remember this bit from Kick-Ass? Oh, yeah. Wait, he does line again. I don't think it, it just shows. So we see it, I think, if I remember correctly, when Christopher Mintz Platt, did I get his name right? Wow. Like, he's the main villain in Kick Ass 2. What is it, Dingus? Uh, Mintz Platt. Mintz Platt. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, so he's the main villain in Kick Ass 2, and he's mad because his dad was killed. Oh. So he's remembering, oh, this is my motivation. They have to show us, you know, Mark Strong getting killed. So just because I went to the trouble of going back and looking at that frickin' scene, I just had to throw it on my list to justify the effort I spent. Uh, but technically, not a missile. It does not have a post-launch guidance system. <laughs> you're, you're, I, I love that, other, you, that you insist that that's your definition. Well, that is. I mean, when, it was, it's, so it's something he hates, too. Like, I hated this mediocre scene. As far as a military designation of weaponry, there's a difference between a rocket and a missile. And I'm just pointing that out. That's because of my. That's why you picked it. This will show my point about rockets and missiles. Not what it is. Okay, it is what it is. Being, what are you talking about? There is a missile. Did you look up something uh, contrary or something? Because this is I. This is from my years of experience. But you uh, introduced from my years of experience something you throw, and then you decided to say it was something that you can then control after you throw it, and then you decided to disregard that for your number three. No, no, I'm saying that t- if you look at the, the strict definition of missile, it's something you throw, so therefore I'm allowed to use it for my number three. I hate using it for my number three because that's not what a missile is. When, when it's used by people talking about ordnance, when they say missile versus rocket, uh, there's a reason that those are different words and they're used for different specific types of ordnance. Oh, okay, well, because they have a guidance system. I mean, that's fine. Well, because it's, it's unlike you like an RPG, which is a, you know, you, it's a, just a grenade that you lob yeah. at something. This is something that you can use that has some sort of guided system. That's fine. And you'll notice RPG. That first word is rocket, which is different from a missile. It's not an MPG. Right. It's an RPG. It's a rocket. So therefore, yeah. I don't want to hear anybody using Black Hawk Down. <laughs> There's no abbreviation for missile launchers. It's weird. I guess. They, well, they have their own designations. What do you mean? For no one goes. Launchers? Okay, get out the ML. Uh, they do if it's like, for instance, a tow is a missile launcher. It's a tube-launched, optically guided, no, optically aimed, wire-guided missile. It's called a tow. So that's a shorthand designation. You know, get the tow out. You could say that, Kelly Wand. All right. <laughs> Wait, why isn't the Clockwork Orange one a missile? Because of the guidance system shot? and therefore Orange. It, it, I no, mean, uh, <laughs> Dr. Strangelove. Dr. Clockwork. Dr. Clock. Uh, because it, it just, it, it, isn't it, doesn't it just fall out of the B-52? Like, I don't think B-52s carry around no, missiles. Are, they just carry bombs. bombs. They're not, they're not missiles. Yeah. Uh, there, there, there are missiles that pursue the bombers. I mean, you yeah, but Slim Pickens them, is the guidance. Ah, right. There are missiles in the movie. You are right. Slim Pickens yeah, is the guidance right. system. He's the guy. How is he going to steer that? But thing? his hat. The, 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 
No, the analog that they're they're establishing, like the is the, is he's riding a bronking bull. You don't steer a bronking bull; you just hang on to it, and it goes where it's going to go. I don't think bronking's a word. A and two bronking bull. Wait, what do you call it? A bronking bucking. It's a bucking. No, it's like a bronco is a bronking yeah. bull. Uh, that's not, not a thing. Bronking. That was a thing. Yeah. No one's ever said bronking. Even Stephen Bronking. <laughs> The famous. Well, what do you call the things account. in a rodeo? You don't just call it a bull. It's got to be a specific type of bull. It's next to the henway. <laughs> What's the henway, Kelly? Oh, about half a viaduct. <laughs> All right, so there's my number three. I've, I'm going to clean up my act for my number I'm two and number one. I'm going to so strip the you know missile. This is why I didn't. Uh, I, I gave you the option to. Cl- like, to ma- I wanted to see what you'd come up with because I knew I, I go. Tom's probably going to go a slingshot, stones, and missile. But I want that option. I let him explain okay. to the public <laughs> who listens to movie podcasts that that's what he wants them to hear. <laughs> and let's hear his case. So it was. So far, I feel satisfied that you've destroyed. Right. You've mangled the definition of a word or clarified. Well, Kelly, want, great does that mean? I just, does that mean I get to be your backup deputy on this three by three? Yeah, you're doing really good. Right. But also, well, as your backup, I'm surprised you're oh, pronouncing missile correctly. I was sort of hoping you'd say missile. <laughs> well, it's a word I've, I'm sure that I, I, I've misspelled several times before finally learning. Oh, I L E. That's how I was with Wookie. Well, to be a backup missile, I mean, to be a backup de- deputy, you have to provide some sort of a guidance system. Kelly, when you see what I have to deal yeah, with, yeah, appalling. Kelly, one as your backup deputy, I advise. Oh no, Dingus! As the backup deputy, it is your turn to tell us your number three pick for your favorite missile. All right here's a quote from it: November, November fifth. Wow, nice. Wait, Dingus, let's take that again. And go. November fifteenth of fifty-eight. All was well. Another day saved when his cape snagged on a missile fin. Oh. Uh... Wally? Sounds like a, I was going to say, it sounds like narration from a Wes Anderson movie. No, it's from The Incredibles. I just didn't do Edna's voice. Oh. Um, and it's, uh, it's uh, I think his name is Thundercloud. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, and he's tall. He has storm powers. He's a nice man, and he's good with kids. But um, this is the way that uh, Edna Mode tells... Mr. Incredible, they can't have a cape. She gives this variety of uh, of uh, superheroes that have been killed by capes, and one of them is this guy whose cape gets snagged on a missile fin. Um, and, you know, he's punched the bad dude out, and he's turned the missile away from the city in the distance so that the missile will then fly out over the ocean. Uh, but his cape gets snagged on it, and it's that particular missile, which looks, I have to say, much more like a rocket than a missile. So I was... It's I was also, being a little a, defensive when I was talking against Tom earlier. It's a Chekhov's missile, too, because we get it in the third act as well. That's right. The whole cape snagging on the missile. Uh, is it a rocket, though, Dingus? I don't, I don't remember specifically. If, if Edna says it's a missile, missile, then I'll... I'll no, Edna, Edna calls it a missile fin. Um, okay. But it looks like a rocket, and, and your whole guidance system thing means just because that superhero turns it from one, he literally moves the thing. It's pointing at the city. I'm pointing it out over the ocean now, much like Batman might do. Uh, and it's going just to shoot out over the ocean. But he's also knocked out the bad guy, so the bad guy couldn't control it because he's also knocked out. Um, he's he's launched the thing, 
but before it can actually launch, the superhero turns it, but then his cape catches on the missile van. Where is the missile going to go? So at the end, when what's-his-name, Jason Lee, gets caught on the, the, the fin, what it, where is that thing going to go? Doesn't he get caught in that? the airplane, though? I mean, I, I can't remember the actual yeah. end. I just watched... Oh. Oh, that's why I said Chekhov's missile, because I thought he gets caught on a missile. I don't think so. I think he gets caught up in okay. an airplane, because I, I think one of, the, and the, one of the female superheroes gets sucked into an airplane engine, a jet engine. Well, what I meant to say was it's Chekhov's cape. Is there would be right. a cape in the right. third. It is Chekhov's cape. Very good. So it's the Incredibles. All right. Do you see the missile? Uh, yeah. You get to see okay. it launched, and you get to see him yanked up, and you get to see his boots... Uh, he gets yanked out of his boots, and his boots clatter to the ground, and the woman that he's just been the, the savior of watches his boots fall to the ground. It, uh. I, I watched it a couple of times, and I was wondering, did his legs come off? <laughs> but it's just his long, you know, thigh-high boots falling off. Hmm. All right, well, even if it's uh, even if it's just a rocket thing, it's the fact that it is mistakenly called a missile – as as the backup deputy, I would not arrest you for that Thank one. Thank you so much, Kelly Wan. As your backup deputy, it's your. I'm telling you that it's your turn. <laughs> My number three missile in a motion picture is in the James Bond film Never Say Never Again. There's a nuclear missile where it's all in a woman's voice. The missile is now armed. Have a nice day, and then it launches towards something. But then it never lands, and he doesn't stop it. I think it's just a test run, but it's just having. What's it going to do? Uh, I think blow up uh, Philadelphia. Philadelphia, really? That's the target. And never say never again. Uh, I think that's because the guy's where... a Cowboys fan or a Redskins fan. What's why Philadelphia? Is it because he hates brotherly love? Is it? It's because uh, when Barbara Carrera is about to shoot him in the nuts, and she's, like, "I'm the best you ever had," and he goes, "There was this girl in Philadelphia, actually." So okay, I think that's why that. the missile's going there. My now I'm wondering if my number one and number two. Are, I mean they're called missiles, but I'm wondering if my guidance system thing is wrong. Let me ask you guys this: so an ICBM, international, or international intercontinental ballistic missile, also known as the uh, LUTs. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great name for one. If we start developing those, we should definitely know designated. Uh, do those like once you launch those? I mean, they're definitely called missiles. It's there in the name. But can you change the course of an ICBM? Nope. Like, so it's a rocket, or I've just no, screwed it's a, it's on a my. Missile. You just can't. You can't change it for them. They're they're programmed. Well, then it's not. Yeah. Well, then my definition is screwed because I thought a missile was something that, like, at least in terms of modern ordnance. Well, that's modern. Yeah. You know what, listeners? If there are any listeners in the military, let me know what my deal is. Because I, I thought that. a missile is something that you could steer after you launched it. All right. I'm an idiot. Well, here, in that case, I'm okay with uh, my number two. It's definitely called a missile, even if I've screwed up this definition. Whatever. I don't know if you can steer these. Uh, you actually don't see the missile, which is even better because this is a movie from, I don't know, early 80s, uh, back when the Cold War was still kind of a thing. Uh, and you see a contrail, not the missile, coming in. And it's the the end of Miracle Mile. Oh, very good! Uh, I love yeah. that. Which is this great like time compressed movie about one day and then one night. Uh, the night is the end of the world, uh, basically. And, and oh, Anthony Edwards, by the way, also in that movie that Kellen Lutz is in, The Experimenter. 
uh, Anthony Edwards is so good. Like mm-hmm. he's playing one of the guys that the Milgram experiment is being conducted on, uh, and he's one of the guys that is uneasy about escalating the voltage. And he's just so good in this little scene where he's one of the test subjects. Uh, but so Anthony Edwards and Mayor Winningham, it's about their adventures on the night that the world is going to end. The next morning, sure enough, uh, a contrail shoots over L.A., and you briefly think, oh, they've escaped it because they're about to get on a helicopter and escape. But then there's this awesome shot of, of three contrails coming right over the Santa Monica Mountains where the, the Hollywood sign yeah. is. Uh, and they, they blow up, they detonate, it makes the helicopter crash, and presumably they die. Now, oh, Anthony Edwards great. I love that guy. Yeah. I forget the girl. Miracle Mile. Mayor Winningham. Oh, yeah. yeah. I remember it. Yeah. Uh, so that is my number three. But, I, yeah, I, can you, yeah, can I, you I see you the vessel? An icy no, you can't. They, they, I mean, that's one of the, yeah. Once they're gone, they're gone. Yeah, you just you just see the contrails, which, you know, this is back when people were still thinking, oh, the world might end because of, you know, we're, we're all going to get killed by ICBMs. Right. That's probably it's a scary view of oh that's what we're scared of that's what it would look like. Other, otherwise, missile command would be a really hard game to play because if you're like popping off all those things, then and then the computer can just move the missiles away from them. That would be terrible. Yeah, I think Dingus made a, a trenchant video game point. <laughs> well, well played. It'd be terrible. That's Dingus. That was way better than Ke- than Kelly Wan's earlier Fallout references. <laughs> by the way, I love uh, I love Miracle Mile. It, it is a movie that completely resides in my memory as a movie I saw on VHS because I have never seen it any other way. Uh-huh. Um, I, I saw it because a friend of mine brought, and it was in this bright red plastic um, plastic container, VHS container that you would buy from a video store that put it in its used bin. And, and it even had the used sticker on it. Uh, and I still remember him bringing it over to my house and, and saying, let's watch it, and us watching it a couple of times. I just love – I have such a warm place on my heart for Miracle Mile. Remember when after you watched a movie, you had to spend like like four minutes rewinding it? <laughs> you remember when you had to – I don't know if you ever did this, but I Be bought kind. a separate thing to rewind videotapes, a rewinder. Oh, like a little a little electric yeah, rewinder so that, you could, so that you could immediately move on to watch the next movie on your VCR. You weren't having to waste time rewinding the previous not movie. Not Man, that, thing is, that's the lack I of didn't future. want to wear down my VHS player. Ah, right, right. right. So I just Apparently, pop it into that, this silly thing that was about the size of a shoebox and put it in there, and it would go rah, 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 for about four minutes. Yeah, well, you got more use out of your VCRs than those of us who didn't have those dingus. So you well didn't played. have a VCR? No, I didn't have a rewinder. So every time I rewound, it was just taking that much more of the duration off of my VCR's shelf life. The yeah. Phoebe Cates part of Fast Times at Ridgemont High, when they would rent the VHS tape out, that part of the movie was always really, like, discolored because it was always, like, rewound and rewatched so many times. So VHSs of that are always like that. That part's always stretched out. I, liked I don't get it, Kelly. Moore. <laughs> Dingus, what's your second favorite missile? In a right, here's a quote from it. Is it better it to be is it better to be feared or respected? And I say, is it too much to ask for both? Mars attacks. That movie where Alec Baldwin is a surgeon and malice. says he's God. Malice <laughs> is not malice. Um, it, it's using propri- <laughs> proprietary repulsor technology, and it's the Jericho missile from the first part of 
Iron Man. And I love this missile because it's I love the demonstration that he does. And it's actually not from the first part. It's after that whole intersection where he actually gets taken. It's kind of a flashback. And he's doing a uh, he's doing um, he's doing something for the military because he wants to sell this weapons technology to them. And he does this great thing where he turns around and he goes, I give you the Jericho missile and these missiles fly off of this uh, platform and then all these little missiles split off from them fly off into the mountains and explode all over this mountain range in the distance so it's missiles within missiles but it's the jericho missile from the first iron man movie yeah those are probably missiles because you could probably steer them after they are launched <laughs> yeah plus he's you super have, bombed you have a thousand people on their ipads all steering each individual missile because there's a word for a missile within a missile, you know. Do you know what that is? It's actually an acronym. What is it? Hen- MERV. Oh, MERV. All right. Yeah. Multiple entry – no, multiple something re-entry vehicle. What is the I? It's a porter. Maybe the I is just – it could be like in, in uh, chips. Like the I is just internal. there to make it sound better. Multiple internal re-entry vehicles. I think you might be right. But, but, but again, it could be a chips kind of I. Where, you know what? We just stuck it uh, in there. Right. They should do the A from California, too. So it's Cahips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, both vowels. We're going to pass on this show, Kelly, but come back when you have something else. <laughs> wait, guys, wait. Uh, Red Yokes is still interested. Kelly Wad, what is your second favorite missile in the movie? All right, my fa- second favorite silver medalist missile reference is um okay when star wars came out guys uh oh boy remember when there was uh, a huge controversy in the scientific community when the death star made a noise when it blew up and um george lucas famously said oh well people expect a sound when it blows up so that's why you hear it and then all the science fiction writers were like oh jesus christ what an idiot but then i always thought since it's taking place in a galaxy far far away it just has a vacuum with a little bit of air in it like it follows different rules but then attack of the clones came out and there's that one part in where obi-wan kenobi's in the asteroid field and uh wow what's boba fett's dad's name Django. Django Fett. I mean, uh-huh, I don't know. Tom. Seized, seized. Not uh, how you were listening at all. Django and Fettered. Django and Fettered uh, shoots missiles at Obi-Wan, but when he shoots them, they don't make a sound at first, and then they go, and then like, it blows up an asteroid or something, and then he's all, oh, I hate flying. But I always thought, oh, wait, see, it's like sound getting introduced to the Star Wars universe since it's episode two, so by four sound will have advanced to the point where you hear a whole Death Star blow up. So that was a seminal moment. Doesn't Boba Fett like have a missile on his back? He has a rocket. In his arm. It's a jet. He does look like he has a missile on his back. Well, he's got stuff in his arm, but I remember the Boba Fett figure when you were a kid. Couldn't you like bend it over at the waist and then shoot a rocket at it? The rockets did shoot, but then kids kept getting up their noses, so they they discontinued it like they glued the rocket so you couldn't shoot it. Once it went up their nose, could you direct it? Yeah, that would be a rocket or a missile. Well, uh, so does he ever shoot that off in the movies, or that's just from the toys? It's a jet. Is it canon, basically, that he can shoot the, the rocket? So, get it. Is sinus an acronym? Is it canon? <laughs> My favorite 
missile. And again, so far, I think Dingus is the only one who hews closely to the strict definition of missile with the Jericho missile and Iron Man. Because the more I think about it, you launch an ICBM, I don't think you can steer those, so it's a rocket. But <laughs> Yeah, but you programmed it. Rocket just has to launch, like carb with baking soda. In but you pre-program the, the target into an ICBM, and once it's launched, I mean, it's just going to go it's – just, it's just a ballistic uh, object. Right. It's just going to go where it's been thrown, right? Yeah, you would call oh, intercontinental in, ballistic missile, yeah, yeah. You wouldn't call the stuff in October Sky a missile. It's a rocket. Yeah. Well, oh, but you know what? A type of rocket is a ballistic missile. It's a type of rocket. All right. Well, there you go. I'm going to go with that. This is another one, by the way. So my number one is another thing where I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. You can't steer this after it's launched, so I'm an idiot. I've done it wrong. So, so like I was saying, Dingus, you're the only guy who's really presented a true missile so uh, far. Because my number one, my number one, not a missile, according to this. I don't think you can steer it, but you guys made me do this, by the way. I blame both of you. Uh, I mentioned on the podcast last week a movie, and you guys were like, oh, no, Kiss the Girls with Morgan Freeman. I'm like, no, there's a movie called Kiss the Girls and Make Them Die. I remembered watching it. So this week, I watched... Kiss the girls and make All right, them die. All right, that's awesome. I'll show yeah. them. Which, which is listed uh, on IMDb as a spoof of 60s spy movies. It is no such thing unless you consider like Roger Moore, James Bond movies, spoofs. It has comedic moments, but it's not spoofing anything. It's an in-earnest 1960s, I think it was from 66 or something, 1960s spy movie. I love that. I've never heard the word spoof spat before. Well, there's it's a difference better. between tongue-in-cheek and spoof. Well, and also it's just flat-out clumsy comedy, yeah. which is what's going on in Kiss the Girls and Make Them Die. Uh, so I watched this whole thing. Uh, it's almost uniformly terrible, but, but laughably so. Uh, the, the plot, the bad guys like plot, because I never remember these in a James Bond movie. Like, what's the bad guy trying to do this time? Uh, well, I can't keep those straight. This plot, you can't help but, for, but not forget. It's a, the most memorable bad guy plot I've ever heard of in a movie. He is going to launch a rocket or missile, excuse me, that will, will fly around the Earth and it shoots beams out of the front of it, like its payload is like firing beams down at the Earth, and these beams make people underneath it not want to have sex. Ugh. So he's going to make this thing, at first he's just saying, hey, I'm just going to send it over America, and he's going to sell it to the Chinese, but when the Chinese show up to buy it, he kills all of them, and he's like, oh, now I'm going to send it around the whole world, and make the whole world lose interest in sex, it'll, it'll be depopulated, which, by the way, I don't buy that. Even if we lost interest in sex, if we knew we had to do it to save humanity, we'd be like, okay, we'll do it. Uh, so, but his, 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 the, the key to his plot is he has taken the most beautiful women that he knows, and he's cryogenically frozen them, so that after the rocket basically desexualize everybody in the planet, he's going to unthaw these girls so only he will have sex with them. Uh, and that's his whole plot. So that's just Does a crib work? on Dr. Strangelove. It's a good idea. What? Dr. Strangelove doesn't have a missile that's going to make people lose interest in sex. No, but he, he makes a point of saying that, you know, we're going to have to have sex with a lot of women, so naturally the women that we include in these underwater caverns are going to have to be selected for certain criteria. The hard part you're giving you're giving kiss the girls and make them die. Wait, oh, my, my mistake. The hard part of the plan sounds like getting all the beautiful women 
cryogenically frozen. No, no, that's, 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 that's happened. Yeah, that's, that's, no, that's, that's, that's not the, that's that's not the hard Kelly part Wan, of the plan. That's why Kelly Wan, the spy, who's played by some douchebag who I think they thought he was like dashing or something. He's a total dork. Uh, that's why he's put on the case is because these girls have gone missing. Uh, and the super hot like British chick who actually she's really a lot of fun to watch. She's put on the case too. She goes undercover. You think she's working with this guy and maybe she's going to get frozen. Partway through the movie, she's like, aha, I'm in British intelligence. Uh, and she aligns herself for the American dude. Uh, so she, at the very end of the movie, and here's why I remembered this movie as a kid and what I mentioned last week on the podcast. At the end of the movie, she's revealed as a spy by the, uh, the villain, and he tells his henchman, take Mrs. So-and-so, I forget her name, take her and put her in the rocket that he's about to launch. Hmm. So the villain goes to the top of the little rocket launch pad and walks out on a gantry, opens a little panel on the side of it to the interior of the rocket, throws her in there, locks it shut. But at this point, the countdown has started, and the door to get out the gantry has sealed, and the gantry is slowly being pulled back. And this henchman, big old bald, ominous-looking guy, he can't get in. And he's like sitting there pounding on the door saying, let me in, let me in, as the gantry is disappearing under his feet, being retracted into the wall, and he falls to his death. And there's a shot of him like falling on the ground with a little blood coming out of his ear. But I just remember as a kid thinking, oh my god, how terrible it would be, you're super high up, the platform is retracting, you know you're going to fall to your death. And you're bleeding from your fucking ear. That's annoying. No, that's after he lands. Oh. Yeah. That's what happens when you fall the, the length of a missile, or a rocket. Uh, so, but here's another thing. So she's locked in there, and you're like, "What's going to happen to her? Does she like, yeah. does she like freeze to death? Does she suffocate?" Yeah. Like, so the good guy is like fighting the villain to make sure the missile doesn't get launched. It's the whole thing where there's a big old red button. The villain is trying to reach out and press it, and he's scuffling with the 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 good guy. And the good guy finally incapacitates the villain. But then one of the scientist workers comes in, and he's going to press the button. The good guy has to fight against him. It's so close. The button is almost pressed. The rocket's almost going to launch. Oh, he stops the bad guy. He's had all these fights. He's catching his breath. He sits down on the console, and whoops, he sat down on the button. <laughs> and it launches the rocket. Uh, what a dumb With, with uh-huh. the girl in it. Hmm. Well. And that is, is why I remember this movie as a kid, because I'm like, oh, my God, what's going on? Well, how can that happen? But then he walks out of the, the underground lair, to up into the sunny part above it, and there she is. No explanation how she got out of the rocket. Like just cool as a cucumber. Like yeah, I'm fine. Let's let's go out Wait, and be a couple. What? I know, I know. <laughs> we saw her locked in there. We saw the henchman who put her in there fall to his death as the gantry retracted. So there's no way for her to get out. We saw the missile launch. Nope, she's fine. She's just waiting up at the top of the the silo. She's fine. Maybe Grady let her out. Who's Grady? <laughs> The guy from The Shining. The, uh... Scatman Crothers? No, the restroom attendant who lets Jack out. Oh. Is that, his name is Grady? Yeah. I guess that kind of ruins the joke if you don't know. Wow. And then I have to explain it. Really? What's Kurt, yeah, what's Kurt, it, what's Kurt Russell's name in, uh, The Thing? McCready. Yeah. McCready, all right. Yeah. So there's my number one missile. It might be a rocket. It's the no-sex missile. From uh, Kiss Wait, the Girls. So the missile, him. the gag is he sits on the button and then no right. one has sex except him? 
or they well the missile launches and that's I think what we're supposed to think is that they're going to be because I think the I don't know what the I don't think the movie really it's thinks about this yeah but I think the the conceit is you know the world's going to be depopulated everyone's going to lose interest in sex but they're so into each other they'll still have sex I don't I don't know that's the punchline I guess because he sat somewhere because he leaned back on the console after saving after stopping the bad guys from pressing the button he sits on it the rocket's going to take off he's the one who basically puts in motion the the final stage of this evil plot but at least he gets the girl and they're going to go off I think it would have been funnier if she'd starved to death Is that like she's just locked up? Yeah. I mean, she would dehydrate before she starved. Well, isn't that what yeah, you're that's... supposed to think? Like, oh, he sat on the butt. She's going to starve to death. Like, that's the laugh for a minute. And the, and I don't... It, it was chilling to me as a kid. I remember seeing that. Literally. Just chilling. being horrified. But then it turns out it's just celibacy for the, uni- for the universe. <laughs> <laughs> but as a kid, I had no idea what was going on with that. I was just... I didn't want this cool spy chick to be launched into space to die and... Uh, yeah. Did this come out before or after Goldfinger? Do you remember? So I think this is actually I'm gonna say sixty six, maybe? When when is Goldfinger? Sixty four. Sixty four. Probably then after. It was probably just a cheapo like cash in. It was shot uh, in, in Italy, I think. You know, a lot of the actors are Italian. Uh cheapo is the word I've only read, read, so I didn't know it was pronounced that way, by the way. It's cheapa. Uh-oh. Uh, it's only claim to fame is that uh, I want to say Terry Jones, but that's the Monty Python guy. Who's the super proper British actor with the gap in his front teeth? Rowan Atkinson. No, Terry. <laughs> Something Terry, not John Craig Terry. Ferguson. That's dumb. No, he's like he's in all these movies that you would have seen, Kelly Wand. He's probably in Cannonball Run or something. He's just the very proper it's English Roger fella. Moore. I don't know why I said it like that. No, but anyway, the main claim to fame is that he, he's, I've seen this guy before, he plays this chauffeur who might as well be a super James spy. Like, Trump, he's completely no. unflappable. He's completely unflappable. He's always ready. He's got all these cool gadgets in his Rolls Royce limousine. David Niven? Uh, no, but it's like that kind of thing. It's like even more properly British than David Niven. He's a cannibal Terry, run? Probably. I don't know. Mm. Any time back then there was a role for an English. Any time back then there was a role for an Englishman, they would probably go for this guy. Like they would try to cast him first. Michael Caine. No, clearly Peter Cushing. Was, it, was what was that movie that you're telling me about where Vincent? Oh, Gallo by the way, has it was 1966, and the actor is Terry Thomas. Yeah. Oh, do you guys not know who that oh, is? Oh yeah, from Cannibal Run. Right. No, I don't know who that is. You don't know who Ter- Terry Thomas? Yeah. From 1966. Okay, Kelly Wando is almost right. He's in It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Who is he in the... Oh, I know who... Right, right. He's the guy who fights Milton Berle. Right, yes. <laughs> I love that you know that. Just think, whoever the super proper British guy. You all have an obsession with the bosom. He says something like that. The reason I asked about Goldfinger is because there's this whole plot in Goldfinger where they're flying planes over to... to uh, release this gas so that they can make everybody in Fort Knox fall asleep. Yeah. And then they're just going to creep in and take, they're going to creep in and take all the money after everyone's asleep. Well, no, they're going to creep in and destroy all the money. Oh, right. To destabilize the world economy. But luckily a guy walks in and diffuses the bomb. James Bond's too dumb to figure out. It's not only that James Bond has such a powerful penis that he makes pussy galore, uh, change everybody's mind. And, all of the soldiers, everybody on base just pretends to fall asleep. It's just like Gili. Oh. 
Well, there's a uh, there's a point in Kiss the Girls and Make Them Die where the guy's explaining his missile to the Chinese who are going to buy it, and this is like this is serious science. They explain why, man. Yeah. They explain that that's what what's being emanated from the front of the missile is a a wave and not a particle. Because if it was particles like gas, it would blow with the wind. Mm. So because it's a wave and not a particle, they can aim where it's gonna. They go to that much trouble, but that she gets out of the rock. Right, exactly. Because that's a real science thing, like the distinction between waves and particles, and like circumferences. The screenwriters all. I'll worry about the girl thing later. I just want to make sure I get this terminology correct. My mom's going to be saying this. So, uh, Diggis, what is your, the best missile in all of movies that you can think of? All right, here's a quote from it. It's a nuclear missile to take out the portal. Sounds like a missile so far. Sounds like Christopher Lloyd. So it's Lone Ranger or Back to Future 3. Or Back to Future 2. No. Christopher Lloyd is in Lone Ranger? Right, I'll do a... I'll do a uh, uh, or quote from the sequel to this movie. Does anybody remember when I put a missile through a portal in New York City? Is it Tony yeah, Stark again? Of course. It's Tony Stark again in Avengers, and it's the nuclear missile that the World uh, Security Council, I think that's what they're called, uh, sends. <laughs> not, a real, not a real body, I don't think. I don't think there's a real group called the World Security Council, is there? I hope not. Um, because these people are really a mess if there is. Uh, so they decide to launch a nuclear missile to destroy New York City in order to close the portal. And Tony Stark think, thinks better of that, and he redirects the missile himself and takes it up through the portal um, in order to destroy the portal itself and destroy all the uh, the flag mocks or whatever they are on the other side of the uh, portal. Doesn't Superman do the same thing to a missile? Well, I, I like he carries it out to the I, ocean. I don't want I don't want to ruin Kelly's number one, but that that whole Superman redirecting the missile because of Lex Luthor was one of my runners up. That's but my no. number one, you jerks. Sorry, <laughs> please. Go on. Is that your number one? Yes. Hate you. <laughs> I'm just guessing you didn't have a number one and you just seized on that. No, so that... I like it. I may as well, well do explain it. it. It's a yeah, perfect timing. Why don't you tell yeah, us what makes this the best missile in all of moviedom? Because, um, well, when I was a kid, it was the same thing we've been talking about, where uh, you know we lived under the threat of nuclear war. And, By the way, real quick, and Superman. Superman I just, here's another yeah. one. Uh, like I, I was talking about, never remembering bad guys' plots. I actually remember what Lex Luthor was going to do in <laughs> Superman. Is he was going to throw a missile into the San Andreas Fault so that the the Basically, the the western edge of the U.S. would like fall into the ocean, and he had bought all the property along the property. fault, so that it, yeah, so that it would then be more valuable beachfront property, and he was just going to get rich from that. I actually remember yeah, that too. plot. Isn't that yeah. right? That, yeah, similar to Superman Returns plot, where I'm going to destroy the world because of real estate. Isn't it, it's the same fucking thing? He's not I don't remember genius. that. I just, for whatever reason, I just remember. So, Superman, which one are you so, choosing, Kelly? Superman or Superman Returns? Wait, hang on. And all that was going to happen, and then Lois gets killed horribly uh, uh, in the uh, crevice by chewing on dirt. And then it's all saved because Lex Luthor doesn't give a shit or remember that Valerie Perrine's mother-in-law or something lives in Florida, which is where the other missile's going for no reason, I think. So then she saves Superman. 
but makes him kiss her too, even though there's a nuclear missile coming towards her mother-in-law. And then I think you would have to. Valerie Prime should not have to like convince people to kiss her. That makes well, no got, sense. Yeah, but he's got kryptonite around his his neck, so he's a little out of it. He's just like, oh, no kissing okay. right now. He feels like Chai Wattel <laughs> in the waterfall. So then, um, so then Superman gets there too late and screams. It's such a there's so much going on, and so then it's like the only way you can beat nukes, I learned from Superman, is by using time travel. Like, there's no other way to beat a nuke. You just have to, like, right. rewind time by making the Earth... Which happens, yeah, by just changing the, the direction of the rotation of the yeah, Earth. That yeah, that changes which direction time moves in, which I didn't realize until Superman. I didn't know that... Right. that you're causing geological issues by launching missiles at California, but if you change which direction the Earth's turning, then he doesn't actually even stop the missile. He just lands because, all right, they stopped time travel, and now that somehow the missiles aren't going to land anymore. Or something. I never understood that. But I really like... Well, it's, like, the, it's science you can learn from the movie, just like in Kiss the Girls and Make Them Die, you learn the difference between a wave and a particle. Here you learn that the rotation of a planet makes time go. It's like a clock. You change the gears on a clock to run a different direction, the clock goes backwards. There's got to be an easier way. Like if the missile's flying, just get the missile to fly in the other direction. Kelly one, do you know the difference between rotating and revolving? Uh, about half a six a Henway. Uh, no, I don't know anything. What? All right, I'll take that as a no. Because they're different things, you know. What's Kelvin? Like the Earth does, the Earth does both. It both rotates and revolves, but they're different things. I bet you didn't know that. Right. It like revolves the around the sun. Hey, you do know it. Right. Very good. And right. rotates. So what I'm wondering is, is it the rotation of the Earth that makes time go? Like, what if Superman had just changed the the, the direction of the revolution of the Earth around the sun? <laughs> what what would that do if you change that? Wait, so if you, you know, made the sun go in the opposite direction? No, he turned. The, he changed the rotation of the Earth, which is it turning on an axis. What if he had changed the revolution of the Earth, which is the orbit around the Sun? Like, what would that have accomplished? If the rotation is tapped into the passage of time, what if he had changed the revolution of the Earth around its, in its orbit around it the Sun? It would have destroyed the solar system because it would have changed the gravity wells around Mercury, Venus, and Mars. It would have made Benjamin Button age normally. <laughs> Kelly Wan, what do the listeners have for their favorite missiles? And as your as your backup deputy, Kelly Wan, I'm on the job. Ben Halliburton, right? Hey, it's Ben Gormongus in the episode comment threads. Ever since Tom added anime to his list of things played in movie theaters that aren't movies, I've been aching to contribute an all-anime list to 3x3. Missiles are a very okay, strong point anime. So now's the time. You obviously know what he's talking about, huh? No, I don't, because I don't know any anime, but I'm getting my badge. I've got my hand on my hip on my gun like cops do when they pull you over and they're suspicious. I'm about to draw down on, on, on Ben Wait, Halliburton. Wait, anime – are there movies in anime? Aren't those just – I think anime is like anime documentary is not, and it's not movies. Nope. We're right. It's not a movie. It's a cartoon. Right. Yeah. Documentaries aren't movies because they're documentaries. Animes aren't movies. Those aren't movies because they're cartoons. I mean, there's just one. It's, there's only one anime movie. Akira? Yeah. Oh, what about Ghost in the Shell, Dingus? I don't know what that is. Dingus, what about uh, Attack, of Ta- Attack on Titan, Attack of the Titans, that thing where the giants eat people? What about that one? I don't know what any of that means. Dingus, All I know is Akira. What about, what about Evangel- Evangelon? Ev- Ev- oh, Evangeline Jolie? I, I think Evangeline Lily. No, there's something like Evangelion. 
Anyway, Kelly Wong, what is Ben Halliburton? What is his all-anime list? Can't wait to hear this. Number three, for the record, I'm going to say the missiles fired at Gold in the YF-21. Oh, what am I doing with my this life? This is so awesome. I love this so much. Thank you. I love thank ben, you, ben. Thank you for Hall. making Kelly read this. Yeah, we love that you're making Kelly say these words. <laughs> it's six in the morning here, and I've gotten up early to do this on the internet. For who? For who? For Ben I, and for us. We love Ben now. No, you – what? This is – how is this fun for anyone? Go on, as your backup deputy, I demand that you proceed. <laughs> the missiles fired at Gold in the YF-21 by the AI-piloted Ghost X-9 in Macross Plus. But really, I could be choosing any example of the Itano Circus, the stylistic effect of a group of missiles spinning, swarming, and flying at different speeds to reach a single target. It's named after Itano Ichiro, an animator and choreographer who's been working in the industry since the beginning of the 80s. Oh, my friend Aaron made me watch me made me watch Macross Plus. I don't remember it being a movie. That's awesome. <laughs> Tom, did you hear what Dingus <laughs> just said to us? I liked when he was calling it Mamie Macross. Mamie Macross. <laughs> oh my God! I hope Ben has two more. Yeah, there's two more. They're really, long. <laughs> really depressed right now. No offense, Ben. But fuck. Fuck's wrong with you. Fuck. Number two. I knew I was probably going to cheat the definition of missile at some point, but I really do like the objects flung by the noting crowd. Oh, rioting. Sorry. <laughs> ben, please, stop goofing around. At the beginning of Jim Rowe, The Wolf Brigade... When the movie was made in 1999, the scene was meant to evoke the increasingly violent protests by leftist students in the 60s. But with Ferguson just over a year ago, the jaw-dropping daring of the noters <laughs> and the huddled mass of the police have new relevance for me. That was a good one. It was a little short on anime-specific names. It's no. kind, of, kind of hard to do the silly voice when he's invoking Ferguson. Yeah, nice work, Kelly Wand. That's how white people sound. Get that, get that. Explains everything. Number one, Satchiel the third angel grabbing and crushing a missile fired at it in Rebuild of Evangelion 1.11. You are, parentheses, not alone. By the way, see, uh, I knew there was something called that. I, I actually... That's the part of all that you remembered was the word of right. Game. Tom wins this round of identifying. I know it's got a what in it, and something in Close Encountersy. Jesus, uh, Ben, you... please send in an no. anime pick every, every time that Kelly Wand has it. <laughs> please read the whole title again, Kelly. All right, I'm not doing any more yeah, fun no, topics. No, I, you guys write too much. I want, to I want to rent this one and see the missile scene. So uh, tell me again the title so I can make a note of what it is. You can rewind the podcast. <laughs> Come on. Come on, I got a pen and paper ready. Just give me one more time. Give it to me one more time uh, so I can uh, jot it the down. The character's name is Satchel the Third Angel, and he grabs and crushes a missile fired at it in Rebuild of Evangelion 1.11. You are not alone. Okay. Wait. Thank you, Kelly. Asshole. 
In addition to conveying the absolutely unreal power of the silent alien angels that are trying to annihilate humanity, it shows the love that Gainax is... <laughs> uh, Why not demand that you use that on your next World of Warcraft character? Uh, <laughs> I think we should stop doing the podcast. <laughs> nope. It shows the love that Gainax and Studio Kara. All right. So, sorry. Back up. I didn't. I we're, we were laughing too hard. You, you need to reread that last part to catch the readers up. Go ahead, Kelly. Wand. In addition to conveying the absolutely unreal power of the silent alien angels that are trying to annihilate humanity, it shows the love that Gainax and Studio Kara have for military hardware as the missile crumples and nearly goes to pieces before exploding with unexpected brilliance. Thanks and keep up the good work. Ugh. That made the three by three totally worth it. <laughs> That's you, the ben. first listener submission of many. Uh, Paul Weimer writes, Hi guys, I've been in Italy on vacation, so I missed a couple of weeks. So I lobbing some missiles for this latest three by three. Number three. This is dump on the listeners. Number three, in Spies Like Us, the giant mobile-mounted Russian nuclear missile that's set to start World War III, save for the unlikely heroics of Dan Aykroyd and Chevy Chase. I only remember this because the movie was recently mentioned by you guys. I love Spies Like Us. I love it when uh, one of them asks, I think it's Chevy Chase asks him, what does KGB stand for? They're like, they have to take a written test. Dan Aykroyd got Donna Dixon out of that movie. I know. That's when we paid for it. Number two, in Red Cliff, General Liang, Takeshi Kaneshiro. Did I say that right? Sure. Needing to replenish low ammo levels for his own troops gets the enemy army to fire at fake ships on the river. It's a beautiful rain of arrows that land on ships full of straw instead of men. Resupply accomplished. Number one, in Kingdom of Heaven, I'm an apologist for the director's cut of the movie. Uh, the laterally fired trebuchet stones used at the climactic defense of Jerusalem is a rather effective weapon deployed by Orlando Bloom's Balian. That's his name. See, Kelly Wand, a missile. You'd like something shot out of a slingshot or a trebuchet? Missile. Uh, fine. Pity the opposing army he was firing at was too big to stop, even with that barrage. Best regards, Paul Weimer. All right, so that's the first non-rocket missile choice, depending on how you feel about kick-ass. David Chandler writes, number three, the opening scene of Tomorrow Never Dies. Fucking James Bond, so many missiles, huh? Seize 007 infiltrating a terrorist arms bazaar on the Russian border. A ticking clock element is introduced when a hot-headed British admiral prematurely launches a missile at the site, giving Bond only minutes to make his escape. Probably the only decent part of the movie, apart from Michelle Yeoh. Yeah, I remember liking that part. And then Charlie's Angels, there's that missile, too. In full throttle, where they go on the side wheelie, so it goes under the truck and then blows up the tank. 
Okay. Number two, in Mission Impossible 3's cheap, cheapskate bay bridge attack scene. <laughs> I think I'm going blind. A drone launches a missile at Tom Cruise, who tricks the missile by running. <laughs> Thanks for a nice bit of spectacle. Uh, I like that missile. And that choice. Number one, Robert Daddy Jr.'s Iron Man proves his worth as a hero in the climax of Avengers, where he single-handedly diverts the course of an incoming nuclear missile into the alien portal, sacrificing his own life, except not really. Cheers, Dave Chandler. Remember in X-Men First Class, they also shoot a missile at the X-Men, and Magneto's... uh, They they shoot a whole host of missiles, and it's during the Cuban Missile Crisis. That's one of my runners-up, because it's the Cuban Missile Crisis. And they shoot a whole bunch of you know, rockets and missiles at them, and then Magneto turns them all away. Yeah. And then Professor X gets mad at him. like he's Because Magneto's going to turn them back on the humans who launched them, which to me yeah. I think is a fair play. It's like, all right, well, if, you want, if anyone launches a missile at me, then I'm going to return it if I can. Right. And that's, that's Magneto's policy as well. Right. And Michael Ironside says it's been an honor serving. Yeah. But, you know, I'm just saying. Right. Arthur Jove- But then he says, uh, when, uh, he, when Professor X gets shot, Magneto uh, takes the blame for it. He well, he it. first tries to blame Rose... Uh, Byrne. Rose Byrne, thank you. Arthur Jovan and Jelly writes, number three, Captain America, in this 1990 adaptation... Played by Captain America. <laughs> that was my fault. Arthur Giovanni wrote this correctly. I'm an idiot. Captain America. In this 1990 adaptation, Captain America, played by J.D. Salinger's son, Matt Salinger, is tied to a missile by the Red Skull and launched towards the White House. Cap is able to redirect the missile, forcing it to land in Alaska. Whoa. That's pretty far. It must be really strong. <laughs> Number two, the Iron Giant. When a missile's... Oh, nice. Yeah. I was trying to... Yeah, that's way better than Superman or even Avengers. Nice. Yeah, that's great. Iron Giant. A missile's an Iron Giant, too. Think about it. Now, stop thinking. When a missile's fired at a small town due to fear of the Iron Giant, the titular character heroically sacrifices himself to save everyone. Yeah, that's good. It's Vin Diesel's best performance, by the way. That's the missile? Mm. Number one, Iron Man 2. Sam Rockwell sells Don Cheadle a bunker-busting missile he calls the ex-wife. <laughs> Despite Rockwell's boasts, when Cheadle actually fires the missile in the final fight, it turns out to be a dud, kind of like the movie. That's me getting to the next thing. Joey Brimhall writes, Hey, I always love Wands 3x3s. True lies. Arnold fires missile from Harry or Jet after main bad guy gets stuck on missile after falling. Oh, I love that one. What? You remember at the end of True Lies where the guy's like hanging from his Harrier Jet missile and then Arnold looks at him and then looks at another bad guy and then shoots the guy on the missile at the other guy. That one is as stupid as the kick-ass one because the missile just goes straight. Like there's, like it's like there's no acknowledgement of the fact that a, a missile that small with the weight of a man on front of it is just gonna like 
nose dive right into the I don't the remember that at nope. all. Does he say something funny? No, he does a look with his face. It's supposed to be funny. He's oh, with his face. Ah! He does a look with his face. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Arnold, at, he... They decided Arnold's face was a better actor than his mouth. <laughs> Getting back to Joey Brimhall's missiles, if I may. <laughs> now that I've made that point, thoughtfully, forever. On the Joey Brimhall's number two is Iron Man, RDJ sells... RDJ sells demonstrates a pretty cool missile called Jericho in the beginning of the movie. Number one, Die Hard. Terrorists using the missiles on the police APC was pretty brutal. Mm. Oh, yeah. See, I said he was just rockets for some reason. Or flamethrowers. Or... I think they are just RPGs, but all right. Well, as Tom pointed out, a rocket's a missile, too. Yeah, that's a good point. I had my chance to whittle away rockets. Instead, I whittled away a bomb, apparently. The cowboy hat. Nick D writes, Hi guys. Number three, The Sum of All Fears. That's the one thing I really like about that movie is he doesn't stop the bomb, right? Right. Not a, but it's a bomb, it's not a missile. I mean, uh, yeah, that's true. It's a war. A great, go ahead. Anyway, go ahead. Not a great movie, but I like the opening sequence, which shows how an old dead missile, which landed in Israel, is eventually. Oh through the black market to terrorists. Right, that's right, yeah. See, is a warhead? Yeah, he he takes that out. Yeah, that's a good point. Wait, hold on. A missile, a dud missile fired at Israel is sold to terrorists? It landed in Israel. Didn't terrorists already have it if it's people shooting missiles at I mean, I don't know. Are they Palestinians? Like, it seems like they're just buying back something that was already theirs. I don't think that's what... I don't remember how that actually happens, but... And if it lands in Israel, like, that means Israel lost control of... Why didn't they just take one of Israel's initial warheads? But it's something they have to dig out of the sand and uncover and figure out what it is. Right? Hmm. Yeah, and they have to... It's also accounted for, so they have to... I don't know. They have to smuggle it in. Right. Yeah, they have to smuggle it in in a container ship or something. In the Baltimore. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're right. From Israel? So so a, a war, a, a, basically a Palestinian warhead is smuggled from Israel into Baltimore. But I don't think yeah. it belongs to the Palestinians. I think it's recovered. I don't know. It might. I'm, you know, I can't remember the details of this, but it's, it's not it hasn't. It's not like a nuclear missile has been fired to Israel. It's. Oh, it's a nuclear warhead? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Yeah, Palestinians. It's, no, no, Syrians don't. It, even yeah, do that. It's, it's something else. It's like a, a plane crashes or something else in the desert, and they they uncover it, and then they figure out, oh my gosh, this is this is a nuclear warhead, and then they smuggle it into Baltimore and smuggle it into the Super Bowl. Basically, this is that Lutz from '58. Yeah, There's but I don't remember the details of it, sadly. All right. So doesn't Israel have nuclear warheads? Why didn't they just take one of theirs? It, they already could, it very, I, I don't really remember the details of it. I just <laughs> remember them. I remember them digging in the sand and, and pulling this thing out and going, "Oh my God, this is what we have." Okay, I'm going to make a note here to email Tom Clancy and ask him what. All right, well, you're going to have a hard time getting a response on that one. Hmm. Oh, he's dead. Yeah, as it turns out, unless Tom Clancy's dead. Yeah. 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 For oh. some time now. 
What? Yeah. No. Are you, you, you're thinking of Tom Clancy, the guy that wrote these books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He's dead. Not Clancy Brown. Tom Clancy. Nope. Tom Clancy's right. he's left this mortal coil or shuffled it off. Oh. Tom, you don't follow when Tom Clancy died? That's weird. I, what about Clive yeah, Kessler? He's still alive, isn't he? Yeah. So you're happy. Okay. I can. I'll make fun of him next. I'll, I'll just restrict my my taunting to Clive Kessler. But Robert B. Parker's dead, too. Also, Michael Crichton. Don't know who, don't know who that Crichton is. Oh, I do dead. know who that is. He's the guy who directed uh, Timeline with Paul Walker. <laughs> Did he direct it? You bet. Did he direct Congo as well? I don't uh, think he did. I think he did Looker. He directed. I think he just did Looker, Timeline. Didn't he direct did he? Uh, uh, Westworld? Yeah. I think he did. I was going to say Andromeda Strain, but that's too good a movie. No, that's Robert. Isn't that Robert Wise or someone like that? I think that might be Robert Wise. Well, maybe I'm thinking of Coma. That's Robin Cook. I was about to mention Robin Cook. Yeah. I got was I got him got him mixed up too. Robin Cook's was always medical conspiracies. Robin Cook, by the way, I don't think it's a chick. No, it's a dude. It's a doctor dude. <laughs> okay. I read a okay. few by right. him. I read Fever. Did you read that one? No, but I read Prey by Michael Crichton. Ah, you read Prey. Yeah. It's about nanoswarms. It's awesome. I read Sphere, Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Oh, he did direct Sphere. I'm almost certain he directed Sphere. Ew. No, I never saw that. he didn't direct Sphere. Oh, he had to have directed Sphere. Come on. No way. you crazy. All right. Michael well, Crichton. no, you're right, actually. It was Barry Levinson who directed Sphere. Cause there, Are you serious? He had Ew. To talk, uh, I remember, because I read about this recently, I remember he had to talk... Um, Dustin Hoffman into doing it and they had this huge break during it and they they went off and did Wag the Dog and then they went back to do Sphere again. I'm glad they Because they ran out of money in the middle of it. It was this whole debacle. But they did Wag the Dog I think in the middle of doing Sphere. So never mind. It was not Michael Crichton. Sorry. Did, did Tom Clancy direct any movies? <laughs> no. Stephen he, King he didn't write many books either. A lot of, it was during that weird soft period when other people could write your books and then you could just you could just still put Tom Clancy on it. Right. Like uh, Ludlum, also dead Tom. Nick That's so sad. It is sad. What about is Raymond Chandler still alive? No, J.R. Tolkien. Is Arthur Conan Doyle still kicking? <laughs> Nick D continues with his number one Superman. Gene Hackman's plan to steal a nuclear missile involves distracting the military convoy on the road with a fake car crash. And while they're investigating, he sends Ned Beatty to change the codes on the missile. So Ned Beatty hides by walking while holding a tiny spruce sapling in front of him, and then he tries to remember the codes by writing them on his stubby arm. But because his arm isn't long enough, he gets the code wrong. So they have to go back and do it again. I don't remember the sapling. Do don't you think that's, that's a great? That's a great description. I thought- I thought they distract them with Dollar Pride's boobs, not Ned Beatty's uh, spruce sapling. But Ooh. it almost sounds dumb enough to be true. I love that Richard Donner actually filmed scenes of people changing a missile code twice and put them both in the movie. What? Changing a missile code twice and put them both in the movie. Cheers in. I might be being dumb. Wouldn't be the first time. Chris Markardson. Hey, guys. I tried to limit myself to non-nuclear missiles, and I failed miserably. I was able to stay away from groups <laughs> of missiles. 
like in X Men First Class, and I only chose missiles that actually get fired. <clears throat> like Kelly. <laughs> Num- number three, spies like us. The Soviets SS fifty. This is my nostalgia pick for every movie and newscast that I've seen of a Russian military parade where they show off their missiles. Rewatching the movie, I forgot they actually fire off the missile and think they have started a nuclear war. Yeah, and then they use a rock to bash it or something. You know who that other girl Dingus is besides uh, Donna Dixon, the Russian spy girls? Oh, is, man, uh, it's Angel. No, Vanessa Angel. Vanessa Angel. Angel, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Man, I had such a crush on her. Oh, Vanessa. I am. Damn, yeah. she was so hot. Mm-hmm. She's fun. Fun one. Number two, where's the giant Mansley? In the Iron Giant, you get to see the nuclear missile get an underwater launch from a submarine, which I thought was kind of cool. The missile also has quite a nice explosion when it gets intercepted. Number one, no capes. In The Incredibles, when Mr. Incredible wants cape on his new costume, he brings up several cautionary tales of supers whose capes have been the reason for their demise. One example is Thunderhead. Thunderhead, very good, yeah. Gets his cape caught on a missile. I love that it happens because he bows to a girl after thwarting the villain and that the missile takes off so fast. It pulls him right out of his boots. Thanks mm-hmm. for letting me blather, guys, Chris. That's it for listeners. Runners up. I don't have any. All mine are anime, so uh, I'll be here <laughs> a while. I have one runner up. Um, and I, I really wish I could have watched this movie again because I haven't seen it in so many years. It's from the movie Firefox. And um, mm. uh, it's the, it's, a Clint, it's a Clint Eastwood movie directed by Clint Eastwood. He's playing a, a guy who has to steal a MiG from Russia because he can speak Russian and he's a pilot. Um, but the the conceit of the movie is that uh, this particular warplane, while we're stealing it, is that it has some sort of like neural technology. You can like. You, you, when you put the helmet on, it it responds to your thoughts, so it, it's it responds super fast. But his difficulty is that he's learned Russian, and he has to he has to make sure he thinks in Russian. Um, so there's this moment, there's a couple of moments where missiles are fired at him, and he and the 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 MiG has these uh, rear defense mechanisms where he can shoot missiles out the back end of the plane or or. or to, you know, dump flack out the back end of the plane, but he has to he has to do the commands in Russian, but he can't just say them in Russian. He has to think them in Russian. Um, but I couldn't see the movie again in order to do that. But I remember him flying low over this missile missile cruiser, and them firing. He he shoots down a couple of helicopters, and they fire a few missiles at him, and he destroys those missiles. Um, which you can see on YouTube, uh, but the real one I wanted to watch was the final dogfight that he does with one with a Russian pilot who's flying another MiG. But I didn't know if he actually fired missiles or fired flak out the back of the plane. But I just love that moment where Clint Eastwood is like, "No, no, you have to think in Russian." Yeah. I just like that whole sequence. MiG is also like chips, and that the I is in there just to be a buffer between. The, <laughs> yeah, the M- very good. G. I think it's called like a MiG-31 or something, but I always love the word MiG. That movie taps into our desire to see Clint Eastwood think in Russian. (laughs) The other one I wanted to choose was Broken Arrow, but I think it's just warheads and not a missile that's stolen. I just like the idea that there is a term called Broken Arrow. Well, once I think, doesn't Broken Arrow technically mean it's no longer a missile, that the warhead has been stolen off of a 
half of a right, missile. Right, right. No, but, uh, but, yeah. but I thought going in when I was originally thinking of the topic, because I thought a bunch of these, I thought it was a, a, a missile that has been stolen. But you're right, Tom. All right, you guys ready for next week's 3x3? Three oh, we're yes. doing another one? Yeah, let's do it. This one's going to be super easy. As a matter of fact, there's probably, we're going to probably hear the same two or three over and over again, but that's okay. A 3x3 three three doesn't have to have a, a, a vast Variety. list of movies you can choose from. We'll talk about some of the best. Uh, we've done siblings, but we've never done twins. So next week's 3x3, three three, your three favorite twins in a movie. Huh. Oh, and, and by the way, this is prompted by... Uh, I, I guess I, I stopped watching it partway through because maybe it won't suck. But there's a movie where Tom Hardy plays two different dudes called The Craze about these uh, these twins that were part of the London crime scene in the 70s or something. Uh, mm. So that was prompted by this. So Craze isn't out, so don't pick it yet. I don't know if it'll be any good. Uh, did you see the trailer for that, Kelly? You watch trailers. Uh, I don't watch uh, trailers about twins uh, once. <laughs> Kelly, what are we seeing next week? Next week we're seeing Mockingbird. Wait. No, we're seeing that dinosaur movie. We're seeing The Good Dinosaur. Uh, right. Not yet. That dinosaur movie is not the name of it. It is The Good Dinosaur. It's a Pixar movie. We Thornton. don't know anything about what's going to happen here. Kelly Wan speculated that it's minor Pixar. Just because it's coming right after Inside Out, it just seems like right. it's the... Um... You can't have two good Pixar movies in one year. That's a little too it's much. The, it's like having too much. It's a little too rich. It's the Fear of the Walking Dead uh, one. Oh, ouch. I hope not. Well, we'll find out. So uh, if you're inclined, see Good Dinosaur and join us next week. Send us your picks for your favorite twins to 3x3 at, spell out the word, quarter to three dot com. We'd love to read them on the air. Uh, we will see folks here next week. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian... Mrolanansky. It's Christian Murawski. And we had Kelly Wand. Oh, is for... Ooh! Huh. One is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. Two nah. can be as bad as one. It's the loneliest number since the number one. Well, Dingus, I guess Spectre's uh, an acronym. <laughs> Thoughts are the easy part. Hard part's finding a reason. You yell Barracuda. Everybody says, huh? Why? What happened? <laughs>